Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by none other than Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. You know them from the Astonishing Legends podcast. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hello, hello, old friend. Yes, yes hello. Thank terrific. you for having us. And I would just like to also further thank you for somehow I've managed to, in all these years, I've managed to get my name in front of Forrest, even though alphabetically he comes first. So I don't know how that works I, it's out. It's just the what? way that it flows, oh. man. It Scott flows Philbrook that way. Forrest Burgess. Yeah. <laughs> how, it, how that worked was he's the one who put the order in for the business card. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, I guess we're going with that. That's fine. That's fine. And the, but here's the other the, the flip side of that. If there's any major complaint or dust up, his name is first. He gets he gets oh, the brunt of it. That's why Forrest yeah, is. I, I'm, look, I'm, he's the straight man. I'm just the, the goofball here. <laughs> which I, I I thought about this last night and how you approach this and and uh, Rob and Scott and I were uh, just before we started recording here discussing you know, how you'd like to be perceived in your genre and in the field. Uh, are you going to be, uh, the, you know, the, the gray barker? Well, I guess he took it more seriously, but, you know, on the side, he called him his kooky stories. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, it's a way of distancing yourself from any responsibilities. Like, hey, man, I'm just putting books together, you know, <laughs> just trying to make right. a living over here. These are kind of funny. Or are you the really, you know, are you the valet or Heineck types? Where it's just like, man, I am, I am about getting to the truth with scientific integrity and early on before we started, that's I've told this tale before, but uh, we didn't know what we were going to do. It's like, should we have aliases? Should we be characters in, in a way, but present the, you know, just to give us some distance uh, from any flack. And then we have a, a good friend of ours uh, who's been on the show and uh, he comes from the world of comedy and stage and theater and acting. And he was like. Y'all should be characters. Now, Forrest, you got to be like the the short sleeve, crazy UFO maniac guy where you're just <laughs> believing everything and just buying into it and just, you know, spouting these crazy lizard stories. And it's like, well, I, ah, I, I can't. I'm not acting. I, I'm not an actor. You know, I'm not. I can't uh, play that part because, you know, again, once you decide to be your own name and your yourself, Belief is a big part of what we do here. And as soon as somebody, you know, like I'm trying to, you know, I was working freelance and it's like uh, you go in for a job. It's like, yeah, you're the reptilian, alien, underground lizard guy. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Thank you very much. It's right up there with a face tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you become so, like Bob and Tom yeah. in the morning. Like that. you're that zany morning yeah. show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you know, I've secretly been wanting to do an episode like that. Maybe we can April Fool's that this year or something. I don't know. Or yeah, we'll get something year, going. But April's already passed. Yeah, so for better or worse, you get all of us as we pretty much are and and what we believe. And we're just, like I said, we're presenting. Uh, and we got a great collection of stories, Rob, round up uh, all these things which are just fantastical. And like I said, we were laughing before we started recording about like, okay, that story's, that's too much. Yes. <laughs> that is, mm-hmm. that is way out there. 
Ah, uh, yes. I'm. I'm. I'm I can't wait to talk like, about these. Uh, we have rounded up a lot of uh, miniature UFO stories. He started to, to kind of mm. just like pop up when I was doing research. So I'm like, all right, well, uh, the way that I do things is like if I see something that's interesting, I'll just start bookmarking things on Chrome and then return to them later. And uh, you know. Scott, you I think you had started you said something about, you know, like, you know, miniature UFOs because you guys covered the Kira object. And uh, sure, it, it oh, just yeah, yeah. kind of made sense to have you guys on to uh, to cover this topic. This and, you know, going back through the episodes that I've had you on, this is the first actual regular episode that I've had you guys oh, yeah. on for. The other <laughs> ones were like special yeah. episodes and like you you had, yeah. uh, you know, speaking parts on the uh, Law of the Skies right. episode, but this <laughs> is the first regular episode. That's what episode. I did, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not regular people, Rob. That people should know that by now. We're not we're not regular guests or human beings in that sense. But uh, I want to say something before we forget, because sometimes uh, doing our own show, I notice if we get to towards the end, we start doing uh, analyzing or we analyze throughout. Uh, I, for one, as just as a listener, I like to keep certain things in mind as I'm listening. And one thing I thought I want to run this by you as a concept, because, of course, uh, UAPs in general are just all over the news mm -hmm. and people are sparked with great interest. Some people don't care. But whatever you believe, I think there is uh, we're starting to see fomenting philosophical stances, let's say, about how to think about these things. And one uh, point that I keep seeing come up with whenever any government footage is presented, military footage, is that there's some comfort in saying, well, these objects here, uh, let's just say that they're they're drones. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm getting to a, a, an important point for me is that let's just say these are machines, right? They and we we talked about this when you insulted me greatly uh, for my beliefs in that uh, you know it was nuts and bolts and uh, or not <laughs> dude, you were going down that way. It was it was like five years ago now, like four or five years. <laughs> ago. I will never, never ever forget. Never forget. I will never live this down. Um, you and Rich ganging up on me, but here's the here's the point. Aside from all that, the idea though is that. Uh, you see people starting to maybe accept or take seriously the idea that, okay, uh, maybe there are at least these fantastical machines which uh, can baffle and, uh, you know, outfox our best technology and our best pilots and, and baffle us. And uh, our governments, at least on the surface, is admitting they don't know what they are. Let's just call them machines. And then also, aside from that, let's just call them drones. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the, the philosophical principle here is that with the drone, it's a lot more comfortable and safe and easy to believe that there's nothing inside it. <laughs> it's that right. it's just a, it's a bunch of electrodes, electronics. There's not a little tiny guy in there, like with the levers and zipping around like uh, Gizmo from uh, the Flintstones. Kazoo. His name was. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Kazoo. The Gazoo. And so the idea, though, with, with these tiny UFOs that we're going to talk are you about. Doing your, are you doing your conclusions at the top of the show here? No, no, no. I'm just okay. saying as we go along, keep, <laughs> because pic, picture this in mind, because I think what we can all do, it, it's like... As we covered with the with the Kara object, in that you start to wonder, as the boys did, uh, not getting ahead of ourselves, but like with all these machines, is there something inside that's more than just radio parts? Yeah. You know, is there something? Is there a little being or a sentient 
consciousness that's operating this thing, or is it remote, or is it uh, is it just a machine like a probe? Mm-hmm. And I think people, like I said, with the UAP uh, phenomenon happening now, that's being uh, I guess in, in greater exposure in the media, people are are a lot more comfortable not thinking about what could be inside that is biological. What could be driving these things? I mean, because again, you have the the comfort of a separate distance between even something, you know, the <laughs> Zadzud Ford at the controls uh, of, a, of a drone somewhere far away where you're not going to deal with him mm. at some point. He's just on a deal. You know, in, in he's in an inner space. He's in another dimension. He's in outer, you know, coming from outer space, whatever it is. Uh, it's a separation that is much more palatable and uh, easy to digest for people. So what we like, though, with these mini UFOs is that these are kind of, they're cute. They're they are not as threatening because if there is somebody inside, they're six inches tall, like a little tiny spacesuit on them and a little tiny bubble helmet. And they're they're going to be they're going to be fine to deal with. And really uh, highly pitched voices. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's yeah, because the deep voice. Well, no, that's the surprising thing. Like it's a totally our, normal voice. Uh, like with our podcast, it's yeah. like, gee, you're six inches high, but you have a beard. So I thought you'd be uh, <laughs> deep voiced. Uh, my apologies, uh, Mr. You know, UFO alien person. So, yeah, I just want to keep that in mind when you when you hear these stories, think about does it seem like it's just a machine? Does it seem like there's something inside it's a craft in that point, or is it uh, a figment of the person's imagination in some way? Uh, that's uh, you know, it's when you look at it, it's actually not a red glowing, uh, three foot tall uh, oblong device. It's it actually looks like something else, but that's what uh, these folks are seeing it as in the Dar- like the Woody Derenberger yeah scenario yeah yeah, yeah anyway so there you go Rob I just want to put that out there in that uh, yeah just just think about what's controlling this uh, these little craft or who exactly because there might just be sightings of little people involved in some of these uh, accounts yeah. here but like and again we, we see that as we see that as cute yeah. it's it's uh it's yeah it's it's not as threatening it's kind of cute unless it's a lilliputian thing where they tie you up and <laughs> well i mean start you say you. not as threatening but there is one account here that we are <laughs> going to tell that is not very cute and may have in okay. fact been the cause of one man's death we're not exactly sure but oh still yes uh, it is uh, damn, damn gazoo. You can never, you can never trust those little green people. No, okay, no, the little green men. Uh, they, they are and can be a problem. But uh, uh, the first account All right. that we have here is uh, we had we had initially because we had uh, talked about this account before. Uh, we we kind of knew the basics of it. We thought it was from France, but it was in fact from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, right, right. and this is the account of Thomas and Maud Hutchinson uh, from September seventh, nineteen fifty six. They lived in Moneymore Island, Moneymore Ireland. Sorry, uh, and they kind of mm-hmm. lived adjacent to this bog, and uh, they were just uh, you know outside, sitting outside at around um, noon, and they see this object just kind of descend from the sky and. Uh, 
It was uh, Thomas who described it as, uh, quote, egg shaped, about three feet high, uh, 18 inches in diameter, bright red with two dark red marks and three dark red stripes. And it had like a saucer shaped base to it. So it's interesting because it's kind of Kira shaped in the way that he's describing it Mm -hmm. a little bit, Uh, just like a saucer with that extended top on it a little bit. And uh, yeah, and a flanged, a flanged yeah, base of sorts. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And like this story made so much buzz that it that it appeared in the Nampa, Idaho Free Press. And uh, <laughs> uh, according to this article that was in there, uh, they uh, they watched it for a few moments before Tom basically went over to it and kicked it over. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that is a little okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh. Well, I'll be. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna give it a good kick. Here. Oh wow! Yeah, and about just, like after here come the here come the accents. Uh, yeah, <laughs> here he comes, folks. All right, here folks, he comes with the yeah, accents. Forest. Forest.burgess yeah. at astonishinglegends.com right there. There we go. The, uh, uh, the email. Um, I, I don't give out my email anymore. So, that, this no, 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 bother, that's not a bother, real one either. Bother Rob. Uh, yeah, bother Rob with the complaints. <laughs> I will us. forward yeah. them to the Astonishing Legends uh, <laughs> inbox. Frankly, Rob should have known better. Yeah. It, uh, but that's that's about it. But I'm just, no, I'm thinking about the, the kind of character because a lot of people connected to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, are and I guess that's that's part of human nature. They're eccentric in a way, uh, because I would say most people who don't want to be perceived as eccentric may encounter things like this, and they don't report it because right. this is what happens. So this guy's he's a bit of a character. He's he's uh, he's feisty. He's going to see you know what's in my bog here, <laughs> and he yep. and the first act reaction is like I'm going to kick it, right. And so, uh pretty brave. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty brave. And uh resilient UFO uh just kind of writes itself. So he kind of got down on his uh knees a little bit and he starts looking at it a little closely, and then it started to spin very fast. So he uh he put he quote mm. put a hammer lock on it. So uh for those that don't know what a hammer lock is, he basically put it <laughs> in he he kind of gripped it. Uh, underneath his yeah. armpit, basically. So uh, yeah. he started to carry the object toward the police station. He's holding on to this thing tight. Uh, and, you know, he's starting to navigate through this hedge. And after he put it down for a second, uh, it started to spin again. And then it just like disappeared uh, right in front of him. Mm. So, you know, UFO was not down to hang out with Mr. Hutchinson, uh, especially after <laughs> right. he put it in a headlock, basically. And I can kind of understand. I would be a little insulted uh, if I was put in a headlock, too, you know? Well, you know, ne- next step is the examination table. Uh, hey, they know the, how these things go. Right. <laughs> like you, from their point of view, it's just like, oh, yeah, the, that's that weird stuff we did to a few humans. I can I can see why, uh, yeah, we want to get out of here. Yes. Wait, and what was the uh, shape of it? Again, was it kind of egg-shaped or? It was, no, egg, it was egg-shaped on top with a saucer kind of on the bottom. It's, it, it, okay. It kind of, it does remind me a little bit of the Kara object in the way that right, it kind of. Right, but bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, much bigger and three three feet high and rising. Yes, uh, yeah. was gonna work that in, but and but only uh, eight inches around, so it's it's not 
It's no, it was eighteen. Wasn't eighteen it? inches. Was oh, I'm sorry, yeah. eighteen, yes. 18 inches. Yeah. So only a foot and a half, but three feet tall. So it's it's a long oblong uh, device with a little stand on it. You could say, yeah. Uh, but also it reacts. So it's not it's not inert. It. Uh, but it didn't immediately zip away either, because no. sometimes you would think, look, look, our most basic uh, items can have, you know, have motion detectors on them and proximity sensors. And it's, it, you know, it, uh, it it went along with it for a little bit. And then it's like, yeah, I'm not going to the police station, buddy. And it just <laughs> wrestled itself away from him. But, uh, but really, again, that's kind of uh, maybe the foolhardiness of people who don't know how these things go. It's like, you know, as Rob always says, don't lick the UFO. Don't. don't. You probably don't want to touch it because uh, most people have had negative Ill, uh, physical effects mm-hmm. and lasting uh, effects. And I, uh, you know, people ask us, it's like, well, do you, uh, you know, how many cases mostly? And I asked you this, Rob. Do they cases end in something negative physically and emotionally, or is it more positive, or is it just kind of a mix? And I think our consensus was that most people who have an encounter, it turns out to be negative physically Mm -hmm. and emotionally. Even if you would agree, yeah, even if like the health effects are not as bad like some people say well Mm -hmm. you know i couldn't sleep for a couple of days after this and uh you know i kind of had like an irritated eye or something like that it's it can be as mild as that to where you know you are having we we covered a case uh episode 100 we had Derek Hayes from monsters among us on and we we were talking mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. hostile ufos and there was this one guy who uh he basically kind of lived on a runway in italy and he was returning home with his wife and on this runway he sees a ufo that's just parked there and there's three beings and he gets scared he pulls the gun out he shoots one of them and then the ufo hits him with the beam of light he ends up uh, supposedly dying later of leukemia. So it could be Oof. as, you know, bad as that. Uh, so yeah. it kind of yeah. runs the gamut. But uh, I mean, like, yeah. there's no you, you hear stories of people dying at the hands of UFOs, but you don't know whether to mm-hmm. trust them. Like one of the earliest stories goes back to 1946. But like uh, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, you find witnesses, you talk to witnesses and they they say that. So, yeah, generally the consensus is negative health effects, except for, you know, the one uh, in um, Texas in 1965 that uh, healed an alligator bite, you know. <laughs> okay. I guess that's that's going to happen occasionally, but uh, but it's also you're dealing with complicated machinery. If you if you take this at face value, and it's like I always remember, uh, was it uh, Simonson and Falcon Lake, the Falcon Lake incident? Yeah, uh, 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 Stefan Mikulak, yeah. Stefan Mikulak, yes. So he walks up to it, and he's now he's got visible photographed exhaust burns. It looks like like nine in a grid of nine. Uh, at least on his chest, and it's like, okay, uh, whatever that is, you got burned. Right. <laughs> Nobody, yeah, I, I don't need days of sleeplessness. I don't need burns on me, you know, right. uh, at the very least. So, uh, yeah, observe from a distance. Especially, yeah, you don't want to get too close, especially in Stefan Mikulak's case, because 
the UFO essentially farted on him. And you don't want that. You, you don't have to deal with that. <laughs> no. And then you got to explain that. That's the other part. That's the other, insult to injuries. You got to explain yeah. how did that happen? And uh, if you're telling the truth, uh, it sounds outrageous. So <laughs> hard to, hard to get around that. But yeah. So what, so basically this thing eventually escaped though on its, uh, on his way to the, uh, the police station. Yep. Cause I, I liked his expression because he said, uh, from the article here, it was the only place for such a wicked looking thing as this. Yes. <laughs> so he's already judged it yes. <laughs> as things wicked and it, uh, yeah, it must be locked up. And so, uh, yeah, but like I said, brave to just kind of cart this thing down there. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and man, we wish we had a photo. And that's with all these cases. So like we, we're going to talk about, so uh, in a handful of these cases, there are photographs like with the Kira object. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, so in some they're just sketches, but uh, I think the Kira object is kind of the best example of a miniature UFO right. that was photographed. Like, um, yeah, some of the in some of these cases, I just don't they didn't have the technology at the time. Um, like the the next case, for instance, the uh, Kokonde case, which is uh, mm -hmm. uh, involves a, a 28 year old municipal night watchman named Satano Sergio Dos Santos. And uh, this case is from 1968, May 17th. And he kind of found this strange metallic cylinder by his door as he was coming home from a shift one night. And you know, he was picking it up and he found it to be just like incredibly heavy. Uh, he actually had to lift it up with two hands. Uh, he likened it to the weight of the starter motor of a Chevrolet car. Um, okay. He now, said that's would, something I can relate to. Yeah, that's why we heavy, got Scott That's here. a heavy device. Yeah, yeah, that's a heavy Yeah, that's a heavy son of a gun right there. Yeah, yeah. and so. this object was 17 centimeters or 6.5 inches long by 15 centimeters or 5.9 inches wide. Not very big. It's very small. But it's got it's got uh, magnets in it or, you know, like a, uh, <laughs> with a um, like an electric motor. You've got heavy magnets in it and a lot of uh, copper wiring. So it's, it's it seems dense right. is what I my impression. Yeah, he picks it up. It's uh, there's something inside that's very heavy uh, with a dense uh, molecular uh, structure, perhaps. Right. And uh, when he lifted it up, he noticed that there was kind of like a a. Uh, half a centimeter depression in the ground from where it um, sat. Mm. So like this is the Thor's hammer UFO uh, of UFOs. You know, this is the yeah. of UFOs here. And uh, <laughs> the uh, we just talked about that, Rob, did you? Uh, in in our in our part two that we just yeah, we, we should have been on there to really correct us. But it's the idea, though, of uh, as I said, it's like Superman's weight. Yeah. Why is Superman so bulletproof? It's well, he's so molecularly dense, uh, you know, that nothing penetrates him. Yeah. And uh, or like Thor's hammer is that uh, there it's not and it's not totally outside of our concept of a universe. There are uh, celestial dense bodies that are just under extreme pressures, right. uh, like the uh, the very center of a black hole. Uh, that you can get abnormally dense things. But this isn't so bad. He, he's able to pick it up. It's not like his things. He is. Yeah. Um, uh, funny, funny fact, my my grandfather's, uh, my father's side, his name was Talif, and Talif means Thor. 
So, um, you know, oh. got, we, I've got a I've got a Thor in the family, so it's always good to have you got some nice. MCU action yeah. in your bloodline. Yeah, Absolutely. very cool, man. Absolutely. So he assumed that it was kind of just deliberately placed on the ground, that it might have been stolen or something like that. Kind of thought mm. it might have been a bomb, but he wasn't really sure. But he still yeah. picked it up and he and he brought it inside. And uh, Satano spent a, a decent amount of time with the object. He was looking just like all over this thing. And the surface was kind of just this dull gray, but it shone brightly when it when you put a light to it. And um hmm. each flat end of the object was covered in this kind of like translucent um material that was joined to the metal um there were no joints or screws and it was just one complete piece of metal and the surface was so hard that he couldn't scratch it uh, he tried many times and beneath this transparent covering uh there was like a dial with five settings on it on which was five arabic like characters and it did additional five characters that he couldn't fully describe and there were numbers ranging from one to five and in between each set of characters there was kind of just like this groove so whatever it was it seemed to kind of have like a dial or something on it and um that's interesting yeah each side had a pointer made from like a material roughly similar to that of the cylinder uh though there was one that was black and the other was red um after an hour and a half examining this thing he finally went to bed um he uh he woke again at like uh it was about 2 p.m and after observing a plane in the air he looked to see if there was any reaction from the object and uh, when he found that there wasn't he took the object and tried to break it on the ground but he found that <laughs> it just wouldn't budge uh it was just yeah. too hard so uh he basically kind of just showed the object around to his neighbors and he was like he started calling it the strange clock that he found in his yard because you know <laughs> yeah it's a thing we all it's a tale as old as time finding strange clocks in your <laughs> yard it's, yeah or a really heavy uh, <laughs> kitchen egg timer yes. it that gets us with with a dial is that this is what i love about it is that uh, it has a mechanical setting, yeah. or it, it's it's. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, a component. At, at first blush, it sounds like something that maybe fell off an airplane or right. some air, right. right? Something in the air. You would think that, mm -hmm. yeah. but that's right. the deception within the the uh, story here. So you know, he he forbade his children to touch it. So what he did was he put it on this like high. Uh, he put it in his bathroom on top of this shower compartment. And he returned to work that <laughs> okay. night. Uh, it's like, you know, uh, he came home at around 1230 on a break and he was checking on this object and he noticed that it was glowing and not thinking anything of it. Just mm. kind of went back to work. No problem. <laughs> so mm -hmm. he returned home again at 107 a.m. And heard from neighbors that his wife was calling for help. So he sprinted the rest of the way home and he found his wife and children crying in their backyard, still in their nightclothes. Uh, Miss Dos Santos had been awoken shortly after 1 a.m. by a loud humming noise that emanated from the object. It threw off a lot of heat, which could be felt throughout the house and generated a, blight, a bright blue light. Even after turning out the power of the house, the object continued to react. Moments later, 
after they had all run outside, they heard a noise like a clap of thunder coming from the roof, followed by a shower of tile falling all around them. And that's when Satano came home. Entering the home again, everything seemed normal, though the mystery object had disappeared, and over its resting spot was a huge hole in the tiled roof. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. So this, okay. this object basically just shot up out of their house through the roof. Um, it's the the loftus hall of, of tiny UFOs. Yes. Yeah. Did it have cloven feet? That's the uh, next question. Right? <laughs> it, did, it didn't appear to. It didn't appear to, but... Uh, well, it got... It, got, it, it either uh, got called back or it, on its own, decided, like, uh, it's time to leave. Mm-hmm. It's time to rejoin uh, whatever mother component. Again, a little, it reminds me again, like Bet's Fear, uh, which is doesn't really classify because it had limited, uh, as we studied it, it had limited function, but it did have residual functions to it. Right. Uh, in that it it had sense of direction and it tried to write itself. Uh, you know, this is what I love too, especially that was reported in the National Enquirer, but there's a lot of witnesses around it. There were... Uh, military, Navy personnel, and scientific personnel there at the, uh, you know, when they had it at the contest at the, uh, was it, remember what the convention the blue ribbon center was? Panel. Yeah. But it, yes. yeah, the blue ribbon Florida. panel, and they, they had it mm-hmm. on a flat surface, and when they tilted it, it started to spin and climb up the board. Yeah. Uh, so as not to roll off. And uh, so you could say, like, well, that's not really, uh, it had some... Minor intelligent control. This thing actually, like, I'm out of here in the shortest route possible, which is sadly through your roof and just uh, zing up to the heavens. Um, yep. Uh, so th- again, that's mechanical. Sometimes yep. you would expect that it just dematerialized, right? And and left, right? Uh, I actually it was just perusing because I'm putting together an episode with Rich coming up in a few weeks and uh, was perusing mm-hmm. the old issues of the April bulletin. And there it was, there was the conference mm-hmm. and there it was sitting on that base, like right on that table. I'm like, <laughs> uh, that's the best fear. Yeah. There you go. Um, and the yeah. funny thing was, is that in a, in like, a, I think it was like a few issues after it, there was, I think there were like two police officers in like Cleveland, Ohio that had found this like giant, or something like that it was it's mm-hmm. kind of weird but uh yeah it's uh it's interesting yeah. like the similarities there uh it's important to note that um after uh satano's object disappeared on him he actually had to uh, he headed to the bar to kind of drown his sorrows and that his ufo friend yeah. left so uh, it's it's completely understandable <laughs> you know uh, right <laughs> and he has to repair his roof now yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Uh you know, that's that's kind of the thing though, you know. <laughs> well, there there's uh yeah, these things as we'll see, uh there's again looking at patterns and themes, they don't want to stick around. It's not like anybody who's had this, oh yeah, I've had this thing uh, for for 30 years now and I call, I call it Fred and it I keep it in a box and it glows when you come near it and and that and tickle it. Uh, the only thing uh, talking about the bed sphere is that that didn't seem to work anymore. And I believe uh, it, there's two theories that either got switched out by the military who had it in their possession or they broke it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they broke the thing because the family got it. Back. It's just like anybody, anything and any 
creature being that you become close with and you observe its behavior, uh, it's like a pet, you know, or something that comes back. It's like, yeah, Fluffy's just not the same after, you know, right. <laughs> after it went to the vet. Something's wrong with it. And they just said it just didn't do anything. Right. It just didn't seem the same. It exhibited no uh, actions at all. And it looked exa- it looked pretty much exactly the same. Uh, but they may have drilled into it. They may, whatever they did, uh, sucked out the creamy Cadbury goodness in the center of it. It was broken. And I my theory on that, it was is that it was partially broken to begin with mm-hmm. uh, when they found it. So it did some things that it was initially supposed to, but not everything. And it didn't really uh, join up with whatever larger component it was a part of or what it was supposed to do on its own. It was malfunctioning, but it still it still functioned a, few, uh, a little bit. Yeah. But one question here before as we proceed, why do you think, uh, and maybe this should be a better question towards the end, but why do you think these things end up in these odd places to begin with? That's the, like, million-dollar question, man. Like, are these things okay, well, just kind of coming here to check things out? Or, again, like, right. uh, it kind of, one of the things that I rack my brain with is, like, a lot of these things seem intentional. Where, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the witness that they're intended for like i don't think you can totally 100% say that uh, you know uh, it's always a right place at the right time scenario when it's uh it right. was meant to happen not that you kind of mistakenly stumbled upon things even though it kind of seems like that it's there's right. some kind of intentionality behind it and that was something that um uh frank b salisbury kind of you know toyed with the idea Mm -hmm. of the display hypothesis that these things are appearing to you for a certain purpose a certain reason and you know that also kind of gets into uh one of the fillet's theories was uh the control hypothesis that it was um you know changing you in some way It, it could yeah um you know just change your outlook on things and stuff like that and like mm-hmm. if you go and read uh the invisible college by jacques valet mm-hmm. uh that book is kind of centered around that and how it can go kind of bad because a lot of it revolves <laughs> around like kind of the grifters in the ufo world mm-hmm. kind of like yuri geller and um uh there, there are a few other people a few other groups in there but uh yeah, like uh, that idea that these things are intentional is something that I I, I struggle with because it just seems yeah it, you can't it, it just never seems like it's a right place, right time kind of scenario. One in a million shot. Because, exactly. Because you read account after account after account. And it's like, well, this should, shouldn't be happening, happening as much as it does if it is like right place, right, right time. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And the other thing I like is that your next story here also involves a lot of these involve young people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this this next uh, young man is age 12 when this happens to him. And uh, why do these things also appear to younger? Well, again, the first story is a, an older uh, gentleman, uh, but it appears sometimes uh, more often not to not to very young people kids, although that happens. I've read a few accounts. Uh, and of course, when a very a small child tells you that, who's maybe five or six, it's like, okay, it's, yeah, you know, the, the, the imagine, lovely imagination. But when, you know, when a kid's 
11 to 12, 13, 14, then, and then you start to maybe take it a little more seriously that, yeah, they could be goofing around, but uh, they can describe the object a lot better and their experience. And then you wonder why, if it's a presentation, why is it presenting themselves to kids? Are they just more open to this kind of thing? Right. And uh, rather than just, (laughs) they're not going to kick it, but they might, they might try to take it home or communicate with it or whatever. But yeah. So what's going on with this next story? Uh, Yeah, this is the ultra dark story. Uh, It involves Mm. uh, a man named Rivalino Mafra da Silva and his son, uh, Raimundo. Alleluia Mafra. And uh, the article that this story comes from, uh, quote, uh, shapes that appeared to fluctuate in two strange objects of approximately 60 centimeters or two feet in diameter that emitted light all over and produced strange dust and emitting rays and disintegrating human beings. Like it's very sensational in the way that this story is presented. Um, But um there is there's something to it that um mm-hmm. again we're in we're in brazil again uh the last story uh the Conconde case is from brazil so we're, we're back in brazil um uh in a place called diamantina which is uh about 16,000 inhabitants there and at the time a lot of people didn't have electricity and in fact i don't i don't think anybody in town had electricity um mm-hmm. and uh the story is relayed by young Raimundo. Uh he's described as like a malnourished kid who was seemed really credible in his recounting. Um and, and he, he was very emotional in telling his story. Uh he had two younger brothers. They had recently lost their mother, so it's it's a tragic story all all around, but um it began on the evening of August 20th, 1962, and the entire household had just gone to bed um, at their normal time. Uh, they didn't have clocks from what I could understand. So, like, you know, you're pretty much uh, telling it from the sun. So a short time after yeah, going to bed. F- farm life. Yeah, right. basically, mm-hmm. basically. Um, Rivolino was a he was a diamond miner by trade. So, hmm. um you know, uh, it, despite having, you know, being a part of such a lucrative job, uh, he didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have a lot of money. But uh, Raimundo, um, the 12 year old, while they're all in this room, he gets the impression that there's something in the room moving about. And it's yeah. it's unclear, you know, again, what time this is. But Raimundo called out to his father who lit a candle and they all basically slept in the same room. And the young boy recalled seeing a shadow floating through the room. Quote, it was a peculiar shadow, not like a human being's shadow, for it was little more than half a meter in height and without any human shape. We lay quiet in our beds and the shadow looked at us. Then it went over where my brothers were sleeping and looked at them attentively. Then it went out of the bedroom and into the living room and out into the yard without opening the door. Immediately after that, we heard the footsteps of someone running and a voice saying, this seems to be Rivolino. My father thereupon shouted, who's there? Getting no reply, daddy got out of bed and went into the living room 
and then the voices began again, asking if he was indeed Rivolino. Daddy replied that he was, but still received no answer. He went back to bed, and we heard them perfectly, clearly, saying that they were going to kill Daddy. Daddy then started to Oof. pray in a loud in a loud voice, and the shapes outside re- replied that praying wouldn't help. End quote. On the morning of the 21st, uh, Raimundo stepped outside to grab uh, his father's horse for him. And that was when he saw two balls lying one meter or about three feet apart, 3.3 feet apart. One was all black. And with this kind of um, antenna on top, he described it as like a spike and kind of had like a tail on it, too. Uh, the color mm-hmm. of the other one was black and white mixed. It's kind of striped and it, it's weird in the way that it's drawn because it almost looks like um, a kid's drawing of a fish in a way. But um, it's a, mm-hmm. it's not exactly that, like uh, like maybe like a half a ball, um, half a sphere. So, yeah, it also had kind of an antenna on it and they were both kind of admitting these weird noises and they were sending out these kind of like, he described them as fiery rays. And there was this opening from which there came just like lots of flashes. Um, uh, kind of, he kind of described it as like, um, you know, uh, there are certain types of insects, not exactly like fireflies, but something similar that uh, could light up. Right. Uh, and it just kept dying down and flaring up rapidly. The boy called to his father came out of the house and he was he was like still shaken up he was praying and he told mm-hmm. Raimundo to keep his distance from two meters or about 6.5 feet away Rivolino and Raimundo watched as the two balls formed into one object simultaneously sending out puffs of smoke and dust into the sky wow how often have we heard of uh, UFOs combining or separating into multiple parts or multiple parts joining into one. That's a, that seems to be a very common feature with large ones in the sky Um, or changing shape. Right. So, you know, when some people report seeing, you know, lights in the sky that, that seem to be part of a rigid structure, you see, you know, lights like, detach from those rigid structures and move around on their mm-hmm. own and kind of reform. I think like the best example of that is the um, Dr. X case from France in the late sixties mm-hmm. in which, uh, you know, the doctor basically saw these two UFOs that were side by side. They kind of seemed to be connected by like beams of light and they were sending beams down into this valley and at one point they just kind of formed into one giant object. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's um, y- you do hear that from time to time. Mm. So the 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 ball then crept toward Rivolino, who was now just like covered in this cloud of like dust. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, all of a sudden in kind of this. um uh, this cloud of dust that was kind of like a yellowish color, mm-hmm. both the objects and Rivolino just completely disappeared. The dust wow. departed and Raimondo called out to his father, but there was no response. There was nothing there. They just literally um, mm-hmm. combined and disappeared. 
the object left no marks behind. And strangely, it kind of looked like the area had been swept clean of dirt, which was weird. So clean yeah. area. Two days earlier, uh, Rivolino told friends of a strange encounter that he had had with two small beings near his home. He's uh, is the pair of small beings that ran, you know, away shortly after he spotted them and they took off in like a small craft that was coincidentally shaped like a hat. So uh, <laughs> they appeared to be kind of like digging into the ground for something. But uh, he told everybody, told all his friends and stuff, but his friends didn't believe him. Um, yeah. What's interesting here and what you don't get in the articles that they uh, present generally is that a uh, year after Rivolino went missing, a pair of hunters found a collection of bones not too far from his house, suggesting that he might yeah. have been murdered. Um, but uh, I mean, given his vocation, it's not out of the yeah. range because, I mean, you know, like right. a diamond miner kind of seems like it's, uh, you know, par for the course. But uh, interestingly, well, especially if another miner. Yeah, if you're independent, another miner sees you pocketing a, a decent stone. Yeah, it's yep. uh, it's a very hard life. It's a very hard occupation. And, a rare, you know, it's like trying to hit the jackpot uh, every day, you know, just uh, scooping out mud. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a rough uh, it's a rough lifestyle. So then is the implication, though, that this may have been an elaborate cover story? Because this seems really elaborate mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right. for. Um, or just a sci-fi detailed. Yeah. Right. And like, that's the thing is like, um, is this, you know, a kid kind of like trying to make sense of what happened and stuff or, or mm -hmm. what is Yeah. Like exactly? he didn't recognize what right. he was observing. Right. So, um, one thing that was noted, uh, in an article that I was able to find was that Raimundo was kind of, he was taken by the military and nobody ever heard from him again, at least according to the article. That's what it Jeez. said. Yeah, he just kind of <laughs> fell off the face of the earth. Uh, he didn't hmm. have anybody at that point. Like his parents were gone. Right. He didn't have any other family. So, uh. um, you know, it's kind of unclear what happened to him. And I think what's interesting about that case and, and the case before it is like a lot of the cases in Brazil happen in the same states. There's three states in Brazil. Uh, yeah. Minas Gerais. Um, uh, I want to say Sao Paulo and mm -hmm. there's, there's another one. I can't remember the name of it, but they all kind of mm -hmm. occur in the same area. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like over and over again. And one of the big cities in which it happens is a city called Belo Horizonte. They have a lot of, uh, stuff yeah. that happens there. But, uh, interestingly, uh, in Northern Brazil, um, kind of a if it's like a few days before this, I believe uh, a man mm. in northern Brazil went missing around the same time. Uh, and there was a, a witness that suggested that a UFO and the beings inside of it were were responsible. So this is a guy yeah, I mean, named. Yeah, go ahead. Well, my first thing is, I guess, presumably these voices inside the hut were speaking Portuguese. Yes. Yeah. Right. Which is fine. I don't expect all aliens to speak <laughs> right. English. You're like, going to speak. Right. You got to talk yeah, to the right. people you're there to kill. But like, exactly. sure. So that's happening probably. Yep. And but also 
just the 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 feedback is very human. Prayer won't help you now. Right. You know, the and the and it seems like the father knows what's going on when he's like stay back. He's concerned yeah. for his son. It does it feels like a very human interaction, but then the the two balls that fuse together. Right. That's the strangest thing about it. By the way, I was just <laughs> well, looking around. I like to look the, people make fun of me, but I like to see what else is going on in the world at this time. Uh, not too far south of here, same day, a Douglas uh, DC-8 went off yeah. the runway and 15 people died in a plane crash in uh, in Brazil, in Rio. De oh, in Rio. Ball, ball related. Same day. Yeah, here's my point. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, the, the thing that stuck out with me as uh, we read uh, from the notes here is the perception, which still goes on today uh, with our you know, more sophisticated uh, betters, uh, perhaps, is that there is a demonic aspect to all this. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you, as, as far as the creepy ball, of course, what popped in my head was the the classic horror movie Phantasm. Right. Uh, it was just devices in conjunction with a spiritual uh, and supernatural aspect to it. Yeah, and, right. uh, you know, we, we talk about it, it ranges from everything to... Uh, uh, you know, renowned remote viewer uh, McMonagle, Joseph McMonagle, uh, telling you know having people who are congressmen and uh, and high ranking military people is like, well, what you're doing is you know this is the devil's work, right? And then you, I was I was I'm trying to catch up with Stranger Things, and yeah. not giving anything away, but this is I think the start of season three, so I got a ways to go. But you know, there's a scene where the Russians are experimenting with. Uh, this big device trying to zap into the, uh, the the giant underworld scab of whatever this creature is, and and I started to think it's like well that's what they said about them uh, about the Russians and people say like well you know uh, whatever kooky stuff our military got into it's because they're trying to copy the Russians and stay on top of them it's like okay well then yeah you got to see what they're up to but you're and then you're trying to uh, get your own knowledge about whether it's ufos or psi or whatever the uh the 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 woo-woo is and the reason that the russians ventured into it in the first place is that it's because of their you could say political and cultural philosophy and that they they're materialists Mm. with communism there's a materialism there they don't consider the spirituality or whether it's good or bad their their view is that hey these things are floating around if this if psi exists and it works we're going to check it out. Right. There, there's no weirdly, ironically, there's no hang up there. So again, that's that's another aspect of this where you look at uh, again. There's a there's a large movement of uh, UFO thinking and research, uh, at least a significant component of it that believes that there is a spiritual or supernatural aspect to the paranormal aspect, and that there's something going on that is more than just craft and little people. Well, there was um, I, I I covered the Veronage landing a, a while ago, and yeah, yeah, there was not only a government investigation that went on, but there was a civilian investigation that went on. And one of the things that this, I believe it was the civilian investigators did is that they used dowsing equipment on the landing site, and mm-hmm. not only like dowsing rods, but they they had this unique way of dowsing in which they use plants to do it. So like, oh, yeah, hmm. they were working on, you know, working with some weird kind of uh, ways of, of measuring the landing spot for, you know, any kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever what they were measuring for. But uh, right, right. Yeah. Like uh, alternative methods for 
you know, finding things. So it, it that definitely mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. tracks for sure. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, this uh, this story I found in an um, article that John Keel had written for Saga back in the day. The, this individual, Telemanco Xavier, he lived in a jungle village and he kind of worked on a uh, rubber plantation. So on September 16th, 1962, Telemanco witnessed a huge object that sprayed sparks over the Paduri River. And according to police 17 chickens six pigs and two cows were reported missing during this time uh Mm. no explanation at all a few days later telemaco left a soccer match and he just started you know walking home which is uh when you read a lot of cases from brazil what you find is like a lot of uh, accounts happen to people walking on the road like whether it's a ufo ambushing them and Mm. uh you know hostile uh, things taking yeah. place. Also, the rays, right? There's always yes. a, like a death ray in Brazil. <laughs> Seriously, right? No, right, there that's is. common. Yeah, because with the the ones in the the boxes in the trees, they were shooting rays out too, right? Yeah, the, uh, the it, it's known as the uh, Colaris flaps from yes, uh, the Colaris, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, from 1977. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, so similar situation here. Um, and um, he was walking home. He was never seen again. So when he failed to show mm. up for work, one of his co-workers came forward claiming to have seen an object very similar to the one that Telemaco had seen. And it had descended into a clearing. And from this craft, three beings emerged, basically, you know, beat the hell out of him and just dragged him into the craft. Mm. And... An investigation by police did turn up that there was evidence that a struggle had taken place in the spot that this man said that this incident had occurred. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least there's, yeah, tra- physical trace evidence. Right. Uh, to a degree. Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. But, uh, but again, that falls under your category of hostile mm-hmm. encounters. Right. Yeah. Right. And... Uh, I want the, uh, did I make it known already in our own show, Scott, that uh, if I ever become so infirm or uh, maybe owe a lot of people money, I will try to get myself in one of these situations. I thought you told me to throw you into Mel's hole. Well, that's if you find me <laughs> deceased, oh, okay. okay? Or or look, if you can, if you can get some, uh, you know, alien entity to, uh, you want to take this body, I mean, I don't care what you do with it, just get out of here. Right. Uh, I don't, leave it to their science, you know what I'm saying? Like... Uh, <laughs> Be on display in some <laughs> giant uh, tube, uh, like the uh, the swirling mackerel at the uh, Pacific Museum uh, up in uh, uh, Marin County. Uh, my point is that uh, if if you're gonna go, it's at least an interesting ending. But Rob did <laughs> ran this by uh, Rob once, and he said, "Yeah, there is a case where somebody uh, an advocate said, like, I'm sorry, you're just you're not meeting our qualifications. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, it, we're gonna let you go. It's the uh, case of Albert Berteau. Uh It's like mm. 1983, and yeah. he's doing a bit of night fishing uh, on this river, and he sees." kind of this light in the nearby forest and there's these beings that show up a few minutes later and they beckon him to come on to the craft. So he walks yeah. into the craft and he hears a voice that says, uh, you know, to walk forward, step into this beam of light that was coming down from the ceiling. <laughs> so he steps into uh-huh. the beam of light 
And a few moments later, he hears, you can go. You are too old and infirm for our purposes. <laughs> oh, yes. I, you have you've told me this story. before. That's yes. what I'm going to get. It's yeah. like, yeah, but uh, can I get a ride back? Because I mean, right. I, it's a long ways away. You know, just yeah, that's what I would get. It's like, I'm sorry. You're going to have to go back to your uh, your life of, uh, of pain and misery. Uh, but it's just it's interesting. I just wonder, though, about all the different aspects, especially, you know, Scott and I are recently thinking about uh, people that encounter some other kind of force that is perhaps not connected or an aspect of this where, uh, yeah, you find remains later, right. uh, much like our uh, unfortunate uh, uh, person, uh, Rivalino, Rivali, yeah. excuse me. Rivalino, in that uh, there are remains later. How did they get there? What befell this person, really? And yeah, it, it's uh, like I said, it's it's fascinating. But uh, maybe that one chance to at least see something other than the uh, the uh, the working end of a hammer as your last sight, you know, from some disgruntled uh, person, you know, which is some just something to go out on a on a good note on, right? Uh, or end up end up somewhere else. And there are other stories, I believe, of older people being being taken right yeah yeah there's definitely been stories of people in like their 60s and stuff claiming that yeah. to have had uh ufo encounters and stuff uh right there was a guy i'm trying to remember because uh we covered him on the year of the humanoids episode that we did because he was I think he was a little bit older. He was in his 60s, early 60s. Uh, I think his mm -hmm. name was like Clarence Johnson or something like that. But his yeah. entire truck was beamed up into this UFO. And he there was like a bunch of uh, beings that examined him and stuff. But yeah. Hey, have you ever heard about a story about a police car that turned out like wound up in a really weird location? And they couldn't figure out even how to recover it. And like a stunned police officer like wandering um, up to a house. Um kind of sounds familiar because uh yeah in specifically in brazil and argentina in the 1960s yeah. and 1970s they had these cases called teleportation cases where people yeah. would have a ufo encounter and then they would find themselves like hundreds of miles away like there there was like i remember reading an account from somebody who um they were just driving along. They had a UFO experience and they found them their truck on this mountain in a place where he couldn't have driven it. It just it was impossible right. to mm -hmm. get up there. And yeah. um, there, there was uh, I was reading Brad Steiger's uh, the UFO abduction book. And there's a story in there about this couple from Brazil who had a UFO experience and their car and themselves ended up in Mexico City thousands of miles away. Don't know wow. how it happened. Like okay. their their kids were concerned. They ended up like calling like, yeah, we're in Mexico City. Don't really know right. how we got here, but we're here now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Freaky. Uh, yeah, that, that uh, I love when there is something uh you know, Scott and I, we call this, it's the hook of one of these stories or the, or the button where it's, you're left with something inexplicable that's mm -hmm. undeniable, but I mean, it doesn't totally solve it all. It's not like definitive proof, but it's a, you left with a head scratcher. Uh, but speaking of older folks, one of my favorite stories, uh, I believe comes from Washington state. This would be a couple of, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago about a, an older gentleman who's retired. He's probably in his late seventies, early eighties. And he's, 
walking around, but he's, you know, of, he, he's not exactly totally a spry man, you know, young man, but he's, he can go hunting by himself. And that's what he was doing. Parked his pickup uh, on a logging road and uh, didn't come home that night. And because, you know, he's going to be out for the day. And of course, his family gets worried. They find the pickup truck. Uh, no sign of him at all. They do a, a, a cold, they call the authorities in. they do a massive search. Couldn't find any uh, hide, hide nor hair of the gentleman. Uh, three or four days later, uh, I think it is one of those strange things. I think the daughter said, like, I'm going to do another pass. You know, it's like you don't want to try and backtrack over uh area you've gone through already. But she had a feeling like, go check that at that one clearing again. And it wasn't too far from his truck, but not uh, but a bit of a ways away. And they come to this clearing in the woods. And there's dad sitting on a log, legs crossed, perfectly calm, kind of like he was waiting for them. And, of course, they run over there, and he's perfectly fine. They say, oh, my God, where have you been? He's like, well, I, I was on a spaceship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and here's what I like about that story, though, is that he is, his clothes are perfectly clean. He's rested, fed. Uh, he said, oh, I'm totally fine. I feel really good. <laughs> and his description, though, is, is that you'll like this part. This is very another common trope, is that he said he was tended to by miniature naked women. Yeah. And that is another common thing. It's like, oh, and I didn't understand at the time. I just thought like, well, that's a pretty goofy thing. I mean, it's, I'm not sure I would have, <laughs> would have told that part of the story. But <laughs> also knowing what we do now is like, well, what's the most uh, comforting thing or just non-threatening right. uh, image is uh, to, to a human, an older human of that generation, especially. And he said, yeah, you know, that's that's what happened. I said, I, I was fine. So I just kind of hung out with him for a while. And and so, like I said, the, the undeniable part is that for an older guy out in the woods who has no shelter because he didn't have a, a t- you know, he was just going to get back to his pickup. He's at least spent three nights in the woods with no food or water and he's perfectly clean and healthy and, and fine. Yeah. Uh, that's the head scratching part. Right. That uh, it sounds almost like a fey encounter. Um, you know, with the, mm, the, mm-hmm. the the way that you hear it uh, in the old fairy tales. And even if, uh, you know, you're reading Rip Van Winkle, it kind of has that that same kind of flair to it. Where, right. You know, That's you, what we're talking about earlier with yeah. the crossover, the yeah. uh, the Venn diagram of between fantasy creatures and UFOs, nuts and bolts, cylinders, uh, balls that merge and zap you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, speaking of uh, more mundane Craft. This is one of Scott and my one of our favorite stories here. The next one, because it is very um, <laughs> real world. You could say in a, to a degree. It's like there are, and I know Keel documented some of these. There are people who have reported uh, encounters with miniature airplanes, and mm-hmm. you, um, I. This is the only one that I plucked, uh, and it, it, it's mm-hmm. uh, uh, most of what I got was from Flying Saucer Review because it's just like, you know, you're you're perusing through it, so you you know you grab it. But uh, uh, right, this is the story of Miss uh, I.J. Goodwin, and in 1929, when she was five years old, she was uh, playing with her brother in the garden. Her brother, uh, he was actually confined to a chair. He have to he uh, suffered an infected knee after uh, falling. But mm. uh, while they were out there, they hear the sound of like an engine 
like far off mm-hmm. and it and it's and it starts to come closer and they start to realize that it sounds like the engine of a plane so um a few moments later they see this you know flying in through this orchard over a garden fence a miniature biplane and it lands briefly <laughs> near a dustbin and the kicker is inside there's a tiny pilot and he's wearing a <laughs> leather flying helmet and he just like before he takes off waves at the kids and then uh you know kind of just like flies off um and uh she says quote i'm very sorry that i cannot swear to the exact measurements because she told the story like 40 years later but uh yeah but i would estimate the wingspan of the tiny aircraft to be no more than 12 to 15 inches with the tiny pilot in perfect proportion there too so yeah tiny (laughs) pilot just coming in for landing briefly (laughs) who wasn't uh what a uh Jeez. That's the, the bad. Okay. I love him waving. Also, I mean, this is yeah. He wasn't scared. I was about to say that. It's like he's like, hey there. Right. This is only <laughs> twenty six not... years after the Wright Flyer flew. So right. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, and a tiny little, tiny little barnstormer. It does remind <laughs> me of, uh, and I'll say that because again, I, uh, I always I uh, curse myself when I forget a, a fun thing I wanted to mention, and we're done recording. Uh, we've talked about this offline uh, in our on our group. Message thread in that uh, there is a great Twilight Zone episode with Agnes Moorhead, who people most know as playing Endora on, on Bewitched. And uh, this is a terrific episode in that uh, she is a, I guess the, the, it could be like 1890s rural America. And it's a whole episode where she doesn't say anything. There's there's a little bit of dialogue, but it's not uttered by her. And the whole premise, though, is that she is a, a simple uh, agrarian woman. She's in a shack by, living by herself, but tormented by tiny a tiny UFO. And tiny UFO occupants mm-hmm. of sorts. And, of course, being from her era, you know, this is a mod- they look modern, uh, and at least contemporary to, uh, you know, the, the 60s when Twilight Zone came out. And she is from the turn of the century or earlier. And so she's freaking out, trying to defend herself against this tiny invasion in her in her ramshackle home all by herself. And so it's a great one. It's a great acting feat because, yes, Agnes Moorhead had to portray everything throughout the whole episode with no dialogue. So she's just relying on her reactions and uh, her her physical acting, which is crazy, because I'm pr- I'm pretty sure she started in radio. <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah, I would yeah. believe that. Uh, but there's a, and I won't give it away, but there's a good twist to it. And and again, it's looking at the what's the perspective of this tiny biplane pilot to the kids right. as the kids are to his perspective. You know, or or looking at him. What is what's he thinking? Hey, look at these giant kids. <laughs> Isn't this fun? All right, I better get out of here. Uh, you know, and I do wonder about, there are a lot of occasions that people have uh, commented on out of proportion or out of size uh, objects that are still, let's say, somewhat mundane. One of my uh, favorite Jim Harold Campfire stories, the, the story of these kids who are about the same age, you know, eight to 14 or 15 playing in the backyard. There's, I think, three of them or four of them. And, you know, they're just playing with a Frisbee. I think we're tossing a football around. And, and suddenly, the, uh, out of the, the bushes, 
or just just appears is a a bee or a bumblebee, except this thing is the size of a chihuahua. Oh God! And it just it flies around, it circles them, and of course they're just like what? You know, they're they're just in awe of this thing. And it's just buzzing around. It's 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 almost like it's kind of like looking at them. And they, but they didn't they weren't scared at all. That's what I find interesting. If if this story is true is that they were perfectly at peace. They were just like, wow, look at that thing. And and it circles them a few times and flies off. But they said, yeah, this thing was was massive, much larger than any insect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like, it's impossible to be that big, even if you're a, a big, fat bumblebee. So uh, that's why I love is that, okay, it's not like an alien bee. It just looked like a regular bee, but it's like, it's enormous. It's impossibly huge. Right. And their reaction to it is not of fear, but just wonder. And uh, and it's like just like amazement. Like, wow, look at that. It just flies off and that's it. There was a story that I didn't include in this, but that I had bookmarked. And it was a story written by J. Allen Hynek's secretary, Jenny Ziedman. And it was an account of a woman. I think she had uh, just moved into a house after divorcing her husband or something. And... There was this. The only way I could describe it is just like a really odd looking bug. It didn't look like any bug that um, like in the drawings, it didn't look like any bug I've ever I've Mm -hmm. ever seen. But it was large and it just kind of like came in through her window, like just through the glass and just started to fly around her um, her apartment. And it was, uh, you know, it's it was pretty mm. damn weird. So yeah, the, I, it, there was a, there's that one story. I also remember from um, monster quest when they did the episode mm-hmm. about large spiders and there was a guy in, I, I can't remember if he was in the Amazon or something like that. And he allegedly claimed yeah. that there was a spider that took up like half, like almost the entire road that just like crossed oh, the road. And I'm like, no, we're out of here. <laughs> we're done. Yeah. No, that's the, uh, <laughs> well, that was, uh, yeah, as a kid, uh, I can't, I can't remember the name of it, but it was one of my favorite, uh, sci-fi horror things. And it's that monstrous spider because as, as a kid, I'm pestering my dad with questions about like, okay, how would you kill that thing? Cause I think <laughs> in the, in the movie, they line up the road with like boxes of TNT, uh, <laughs> as, and they wait for it to cross over. And I, that was that was a big theme when I was a kid. How yeah. do you kill the monster? Like what? How do you defend yourself against it? And the the unnerving answer, especially with with UFOs and and this phenomenon, is that you got no control. There's nothing you can't you 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 can't shoot at it. Yeah. Uh, is of the case I think of the uh, the Iranian pilot. Uh, you know, again, I love the descriptions on this. Is that you know, you're talking about uh, 20 millimeter shells that he, you know, rounds that he's trying to fire at this thing. And he yeah. said it looked like it absorbed them. Right. And <laughs> it absorbed them, ingested them, made a, a fun lead uh, figurine and spit it back out at him. And like, there's nothing you can do about this stuff. So. Right. Uh, oh, and then we'll get to uh, Javier Bosque. Javier Bosque. Which, yes. Yes. Uh, Don Quixote. But, oh, I was going to tell you, Rob, the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The. Uh, did you have you seen the mist? I have. The movie? Yeah. OK, yep. that giant. That's one of my favorite twists is the purple. Like, <laughs> it's like a purple and magenta spider. Uh, that's just the size. You know, it's, it's like 50 stories tall. Yeah. And uh, 
and then I think of like, okay, well, if it's just a bug, you can you can probably kill it with missiles, but then you've got this giant rotting bug carcass. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, our next story here. Um uh Javier Bosque. Now we're in uh Logroño, Spain. Logroño, and, Spain. Uh, yes. Robbie, before you lay out the more of the details of this story, do you see more uh I guess uh either country or cultural patterns to it's it, just in focusing in miniature UFOs. Do you, you get more miniature UFO stories in uh, Latin speaking countries or uh, parts of uh, hemispheres, uh, latitudes? Is there any pattern that you can discern uh, just anecdotally? From Not what you come across? really. I, th- I think the only pattern mm. that you can pluck from these stories is that a lot of them are seen by children. Like really small. That's what we were talking about children. earlier. Yeah. yeah. They, they start off. Uh, and I, again, we go back to this thing. It's not so, even so much with like uh, ghosts and, you know, kids. Well, maybe so in that we, you know, we say go- kids have not put it out of their mind of that's impossible. And so my brain's shutting that off is that they're open to uh, adventure and fantasy and, and whatever. And they will. Uh, and they also notice more things, I believe, because the, the world is more new and, and fresh to them. And so when there is a weird object in a field or they tend to pay attention more or maybe is it that these things approach them because of that attitude. But right. in, in this case, though, uh, again, it's another uh, young man. So he's 20 and he's a student and at a theological college. I'm not sure if that has any bearing on it. It doesn't uh, doesn't seem to be. But uh, I, li- I do like the. Uh, sometimes when there's a religious angle on it, I guess. Right. And in this case, and like uh, I, I've seen the, uh, the there, this uh, incident depicted on the cover of Flying Saucer mm. Review and in, in an issue of Stendek. And it's like there's a the mm-hmm. guy in his bed and he's got his covers like up to his <laughs> neck and he's just like screaming. And right. there's like a like this weird right. object in the room. But, uh, you know, on this particular night, it was a June night uh he'd be <laughs> mm-hmm. he would been recording some like guitar exercises and uh after dinner he just climbed into bed turned on his radio and he be- began to read uh don quixote and um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know just uh enjoying his evening and he he read long after the radio station had gone off the air that night um mm. and he just kind of left the radio on so it was about 2 a.m mm-hmm. And he noticed that the room was just kind of growing brighter and brighter and presuming mm. this to be like the normal nightly increase in power that you see sometimes. Uh, he placed yeah. the book on the bedside table, but when he turned his head to the left, he noticed that his living room window was open slightly, which it hadn't been. And there was now a mm. light that was kind of framing the window opening and the two leaves of the window parted and a round luminous object entered his room uh quote the device seemed to be menacing by its very by the very nature of its weirdness which is the best mm. quote of all time i'm i'm gonna put that <laughs> on a is. shirt or something <laughs> yeah well that's gonna be your, your new bio for your twitter handle which usually changes every so often yes. so yeah yes um i i am <laughs> yes the device seemed to be menacing by the uh, very nature of its weirdness that is how i describe myself could, from now on you well that's what i'm saying you could change out the word device for podcast 
podcast. Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Right. I uh, I will do that after uh, we get done recording. Um, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> uh, he said it was like a, a an orb shaped ball of light, perfectly round, approximately 32 centimeters or a foot in diameter by 50 centimeters or 19.5 inches long. And it moved in slow loping silence, two meters or six point five uh, feet above mm-hmm. the ground. And when it reached the alcove where uh, Javier's bed was, it just kind of stopped and hovered there. Uh, and he looked on horrified at, at this like blindingly bright object. And he did what mm-hmm. any of us would do in a situation like this. And he just pulled the covers up and he sunk into his bed as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> right. I guess it was chilly. And just know. go to sleep. <laughs> No, I'm jumping out of bed and I'm putting some pants on. I don't want to be, you know, taken somewhere uh, (laughs) uncomfortable uh, dressed in jammies. Right. Like I said, I I want to be ready for this kind of a. It's like, hold on, let me let me at least put some uh, some shorts on and a and a a decent T-shirt. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So this. This object, it just immediately dropped closer to the floor, um, about 40 centimeters or 15 inches. And he and he started to half close his eyes like any child, uh, you know, afraid of the dark. <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and he tried to just like explain this all away and his friends. Uh, um, but he just couldn't really kind of justify it. So since this object entered the room, a strange high-pitched sound started to come from the radio, which he hadn't turned off yet. And Javier had mm. the thought to turn on his tape recorder to capture the sounds coming from his radio. So he's excellent. I, I love yeah. that uh, that thinking there in a, a crisis thinking. It's very clever. Yes. Yes. And he kind of just slowly starts to reach over and he presses the record and it drew and he kind of just drew his arm back from the covers a little bit. So. Hmm. The object then began scanning the room using a beam of light, aiming it at the radio and then the tape recorder. The object rose again to its original height and floated out of the room and into the sky. The uh, the odd signal still blared out for a moment longer and Javier just turned up the the radio a little bit to uh, to capture those sounds. Yeah. Is that recording out there? (laughs) Yeah. And that's uh, the question. Not that I've been able to find. Uh, I don't know if okay. it's ever been mm. digitized or anything. So uh, it may still exist out there, but there's no real mention of the recording at all. Mm. Okay. Okay. Mm. Some it's in a shoebox somewhere. It's a or a cigar box. Either one is a, a great container for objects that will won't be found for the 20, 30 years. Yeah. If ever. Yeah, if I was like a yard sale hound, that's what I'd look for. It wouldn't be for the like antiques roadshow stuff. It would be yeah. for the 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 strange UFO uh, Super Eight film that Grandpa shot and nobody ever saw. <laughs> so you basically, well, it's, yeah, it's the PGF is out there. Yeah. The the Patterson Gimlin film is is in a shoebox somewhere. So yeah. you're going to basically come up with the same story that they came up with for the alien autopsy film. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, just, uh, yeah I, was, I was looking for Elvis footage, and this guy had this weird canister. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, That's right. Yes. It's, uh, or, or, you know, it's Hitler dancing with Bigfoot. It's just right. something like right. preposterous. But this is, uh, and that's what's interesting is that uh, you, at least with the Patterson-Gimlin film, is that, yeah, we have it, but what we've all been looking at over the years is at least a first-generation copy. So what mm-hmm. inform- what more information could you get out of it, it with the clarity of the original film? And that's what people are after. With some of these things, though, uh, as we'll see, is that you you get photos, but the uh, it's still not giving you any answers, really. It's, right. uh, you know, I, I just watched the... Uh, uh, the four-part series produced by J.J. Abrams on on UFOs that's uh, that's been running on Showtime, and there is some pretty amazing. Uh, I'll give them credit. You know, it's pretty some some pretty amazing footage that people have caught with their, I guess, cell phone now uh, and video camera footage that's recent. And I'm talking about things that look uh, things that are changing shape and color in the frame. Uh, footage I've never seen before. Mm. Of course, there's ones that have been have gone viral, like I believe it was in Israel, uh, the ball of light that's uh, that's kind of hovering and shoots straight up into the uh, into the sky. Uh, but this one was a close up of uh, it's pretty good detail that it is. It's like a it's like a transformer toy changing shape uh, and and with different colors. And it's like that's pretty spectacular. But again, we all look at these things and we don't know the provenance of them. You know, it's right. nobody yeah. we know, and yeah. uh, it's like so. You still can't trust it, but I do wonder for that moment when uh, one of the three of us, or even Rich Adam, presents something and says, "I took this." Now, what do you think? Right? Yeah. And you know, either you believe me or you don't. But yeah, it's just with that recording, I, I I'm just curious as to what sounds he was able to capture, and uh, you know, would it give me chills? Uh, would it raise the hairs on my arm? Because it, it was slightly uh, when that happened, it was Frederick Valentich. Right. Or Valentich. When we had the recording and people said, like, yeah, it kind of sounds like it's a radio that's maybe being starting to go underwater. Right. Well, that would track is that he's trying to, you know, as the cockpit's filling or whatever, he's trying to get out a last message. Uh, then again, you wonder, like, would that work at all? Or is it just intercepted radio communication that's been garbled by the phenomenon? Right. Uh, but it's chilling. So, uh, you know, the recording could very well be uh, the legendary brown note. We don't know. You know, it could and it could end <laughs> poorly for everybody involved. So maybe it's good right, that we don't right. have access to this recording. But uh, exactly. Mm. For our, uh, <laughs> our next story, we head to Colombia and uh, this is huh? tiny entities, very small figures. Uh, four boys and a That's police a song officer. by Elton John, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's got to be like, come on, man. You got to come up with one more album. I mean, he had that song. I've seen the saucer. So this is up his alley. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yes. So uh, Medardo but Martinez. We're, but we're back in. I'm yeah. oh, sorry. No, no oh, go ahead. I was going to say we're, we're back in South America. Yes, we are. Uh mm-hmm. We uh, and we will stay in South America after this one, too. Um, uh, <laughs> right. Medardo Martinez, Hippolito Garcia, Hernan Mejaras and Mario Fernandez Ramirez. 
They attended school in Imbagwe, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, and approaching this kind of ravine that was outside of town, they were tasked to collect like certain plant specimens for the class. And when they arrived at the banks of a nearby river, they found four small beings about 20 centimeters or seven inches tall, standing in front of a tiny stone footbridge, searching for something mm. in the riverbed. Quote, the boy described the little creatures as dressed in white with tiny gray caps on their heads and with with uh, human like features. Uh, and without any apprehension, uh, they approached these small figures who, you know, disappeared immediately. But and of course, they didn't have any photographs of this, but they examined the area and they found these mm -hmm. really tiny footprints. Um, there was an unnamed police officer that supposedly filed a report uh, and um, he had actually seen something very similar in the area. And uh, he also found some tracks. But uh, again, as uh, as these reports, as you read them, that's all there ever is to them. There's never any follow up. Mm -hmm. It's just, hey, I we know. Saw right. That tiny figures makes you and, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I've, I've said all along, I, that used to bother me as a kid when we'd be pre-internet days, is that uh, the, the one that kind of uh, stuck with me is the the woman taken to the emergency room, and we actually talked about this, I think in one of our holiday shows, is that she was emuting fumes that knocked people out. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. It, and actually one doctor, uh, she had to give up her medical career. It, it debilitated her so, so badly. And then, uh, you know, there's only so many theories. And it's like you read this incredible thing in the paper. It's like, what? You know, and then it wasn't even covered, I think, in the TV news. And then I was you know, reading the paper for weeks after that. Like, come on, you got to follow up on this. And I think there was maybe one small blurb later on and just said, well, we still, still don't really know. But we think she may have ingested something that uh, caused her body to give off noxious fumes. And I just, wow. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so he's it, never satisfying. I think, is, what I'm is, that, is that the Gloria Ramirez? Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Gloria Ramirez, yep. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember yeah, when Yeah, eventually the, it came out, but it, yeah. it, it took a long time, I think, for them to like. Because mm -hmm. that was what allegedly expired the quote-unquote black blood from the X-Files, was that case. Right. Mm. Yeah. Right. I, there you go. There you go. Well, this uh, this the report here though is again. I love this because it's cute. The tiny little gray caps and mm -hmm. uh, dressed in like little white jumpsuits or <laughs> like they, like tiny ice cream men. Uh, right. But it, but also you the before we get to the next one, the aspect of it is uh, they appear that way uh, to. Uh, you know, to the boys because it's not threatening and that they, and they didn't feel threatened without apprehension. Right. They, they approach, uh, immediately and, uh, they didn't get close enough. This thing vanishes, but it is that scenario where it's not presenting as being fearful, uh, or, right. or something to be feared. Uh, and again, you wonder, is that incidental? Was that intentional? Is that what they're seeing? Or is that just the nature of these adventurous boys? Right. So. Yeah, because uh, in um, the next episode that's coming out, uh, which mm -hmm. by the time everybody hears this, it'll already have come out. Um, there was a um, a set of sightings in Arc Suson 
France, I think is where it was. And these, uh, these kids had gone over into this field to play around and stuff. And this one girl had gotten ahead of everybody else. She walked into uh, a little bit further and she came back screaming, claiming that there mm. were three or four little figures that were kind of just running about the bush. So mm-hmm. when she ran back, um, there were a couple of older uh, like teenagers that had heard it. And they're like, well, we're going to go see it for ourselves. So they go out to the spot and <laughs> sure enough, they see one figure just kind of running back and forth in the same area, just short and, yeah. and stuff. But like, yeah. Why, why running? Like, right. what is it? What's the running about? Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, got things to do. Mm. And, and the way that they described it is like. <laughs> Uh, their legs moved faster than it should have, like faster than a human's legs would. So, like, it was uh, just booking it. <laughs> yeah, that I love. I love aspects like that. Or the other one that's unsettling is the legs weren't moving fast enough. Right. The the, the body was moving faster than the legs should have been carrying them. Right. Yeah, that's uh, no, that's and, unsettling. Yeah. Nobody needs yeah, to see that. Right. Uh, that's the architect <laughs> of all our nightmares. Yeah. It's that's a great. Uh, there's a missing four one one anecdote. I love that the uh, the, the guys at Graveyard Tales uh, relayed where that's what the guy saw following him on the trail as a regular middle aged woman following him, but the legs weren't moving fast enough to match her speed in approaching him. Right. And then when he turns around to notice, she stops and looks surprised, like, "Oh, you're not supposed to see me." Right. I was supposed to be sneaking up on you. Right. Exactly. Uh, that gives me chills. And because, again, it's like it's like every other creature we cover here, Mothman, not flapping its wings enough for a giant moth man like beast to to gain altitude. Mm-hmm. It's they're kind of half going through the motions. Right. So anyway, but that's but yeah, but this one's uh yeah, it's a children's story here. It's it's interesting as a lot of these are. And again, the next one here, we're coming to a, a, a schoolroom landing. Yeah, like that's the thing is like they describe it as a schoolroom landing. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, this is in Laredo, Argentina, January 13th, 1975 or 79. uh, Quote, an unidentified flying object appeared suddenly before a boy age 12 in school in Laredo in the province of Santiago del Estero. Uh, Two humanoids descended from the object dressed in aluminum colored clothing the boy was immediately immobilized by them they remained in the room for a considerable time the incident is stated to have taken place at midday so the witness is a young boy named marcos rafael suarez uh and he was accompanied by his father who was a janitor at this local school and Marcos was just hanging out in this small room. Uh, it wasn't very big as four meters by four meters or about 13 feet by 13 feet. So um, kind of uh, it's I don't think it was a necessarily a classroom might have been like a break room or something like that because there was a yeah, uh, refrigerator yeah. in there. Um, mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, it was a kerosene run refrigerator and uh Mm-hmm. They had some small chairs, tables, and uh, among other things. And Marcos was alone, and he was putting a piece of watermelon in the fridge when he heard a cardboard box full of newspapers fall over to the floor. And turning mm-hmm. around, an aluminum-colored rectangular object that was only about 60 centimeters or two feet wide by 140 centimeters or four and a half feet tall 
and 100 mm-hmm. centimeters or 3.25 feet long appeared mm. on the upper part of it was this kind of like it there was like a, the way that it looks is like a windshield but within the windshield there was kind of this like small television like screen through um and mm. there was a you know considerable portion uh of this window that he could actually see through but below the screen was this round reflector similar to a car's headlights in many ways like uh when you look at the sketch of this thing imagine a cardboard uh, a a bus made out of cardboard in many ways like without wheels that's kind of what it looks like um okay a little futuristic maybe a little jetsons uh (laughs) here but um right you know um it kind of had these black vertical um, lines on it, too. And the object, it was kind of floating about eight inches above the ground, 20 centimeters or so. Yeah. And it made kind of like uh, the same sound that an electric fan motor would. So two doors, right. approximately half the length of the object, fell on both sides. And a figure that stood about 80 centimeters or two and a half feet tall emerged from the right hand side, followed shortly by another on the left. Quote, they were dressed in shiny one-piece overalls with shiny straps. They wore helmets of the same material and a dark glass-like band across their faces at eye level. End quote. Okay, Uh, that's pretty hip. That is a 60s mod hip outfit there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely, (laughs) uh, I would say ready for the club ready for the disco ready to get in there and just party yeah. down yeah absolutely right and also uh, a little bit um daft punk yes almost yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh so the the being that emerged from the left hand side seized hold of marcus marcos with uh a hand that he described as having like four fingers on it and just disp- oh. Okay, back yeah. to the four fingers, Rob. I'm not going to yeah. derail you here. Just keep that in mind. Four again with the with the darn four fingers only. Okay, so with the four fingers and the and I think the best way that I've seen it done is uh, or are like the best hand morphology to see how a, mm-hmm. a hand with four fingers works. The one of the guys that was involved in the Allagash abduction, he drew one of the hands of the beings and the way that it articulated itself. It's not dissimilar to the way like a claw machine hand would in the way that uh, the fingers could kind of just like come together. So, you know, the the four fingers kind of thing I can kind of see, especially if they're big enough that they could kind of grip things um, in them. Right. Right. And this being's grip was strong. Um, hmm. and, uh, this being spoke in perfect Spanish and he told the boy, sit down, don't move. And he basically forced him into a chair and Marcos, he was conscious, but he couldn't move once he was in that chair. The other figure that uh, came out of the right side, um, he just started to move about the room and, and Marcos noticed that uh, the beings had kind of this strange apparatus on their back that kind of looked like maybe it was a breathing device or something like that. So hmm. the being that had sat Marcos down returned to the object and activated the reflector, which shot out a red beam of light, causing the boy's eyes to water. And then he just lost consciousness. So when he awoke again, he found that he could, you know, move um, 
he seemed perfectly fine. The object and the figures were mm-hmm. gone, but there was a sulfurous odor lingering in the air. Um, but otherwise, there was nothing missing. Everything kind of just seemed mm. back to normal. So the boy, he's kind of struggled to walk a little bit and he started he actually fell on his hands and knees um, and his father, who had come running in, he noticed that his face was kind of purple. So uh, Marcos relayed the story of what happened to him to his uh, father. And then soon after, they rushed him to the hospital where they gave him just a sedative to calm him down. Um, when investigators looked into this case, they found that the refrigerators and the fans in the homes of neighboring houses houses had stopped working for a period of time. And they claimed that radios started to emit an odd static. So it's an uh-huh. interesting case. It's an interesting case. Yes. Yeah. They- there's our hook. There's the button that that little residual uh, backup piece of possible evidence to make you go. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like in a schoolroom. And again, that gets into the intentionality of it. Would it have appeared right, yeah. if Marcos was not in that room? I don't think so. Right. So right whatever. because some some of these stories you you do think that I think the beings were surprised mm-hmm. it's like ah you know we got a few things to do you're not supposed to be here we're just going to give you the little zap and then uh, we're going to get attend to our business and we'll get back to you in a moment and then it but doesn't work out real well for you right uh, but yeah it's just you you wonder like what's the purpose there of uh, that's the, quickly the other story we learned about Skinwalker where they saw somebody looked like a they were sitting in a like a construction trailer in it with a window doing work and i think it looked like they're wearing a space suit and the people started to approach them and the guy's like all right i gotta move and so he moves a little ways away (laughs) continues working and then they keep approaching he's like okay i gotta move again look i can't be near you folks i got stuff to do i gotta fill these reports out to the intergalactic commission and uh, i don't need you staring at me plus uh, but i can't totally disappear it just kept moving away but it looked like the guy was busy doing something yeah. So there's a I I love beyond the unmundaneness. There's a mundaneness. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. There is a, uh, a mundanity. There is yeah. relatable elements that we have here, like right. uh, which always seem to be present in a lot of these cases. Something that uh, mm-hmm. the witness can relate to, and perhaps that's what helps them to kind of relate their story. Are the relatable elements is you know. Um, bringing those forward. But yeah, like it's just, how are you in a room? And then all of a sudden a weird ass UFO appears out of nowhere <laughs> in a room of all places. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just, I don't know. How to, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to quantify that at all. Well, the other thing I love too, is uh, like with the next story, we've got a wave. So mm-hmm. I, I also, uh, I love it when uh, this the phenomenon keeps repeating itself in front of a large number of people, but it also involves small humanoids. Yes, and probably my favorite small humanoids that I've ever I've ever seen. So uh, in nineteen seventy, yeah, awesome. yeah, there was this uh, this wave of small UFOs and small humanoids seen in Malaysia. And, um, yeah, quote, in 1970, a weird epidemic spread across the peninsula of Malaysia. Those affected were strange, strangely enough, mostly school children in the age group of eight to 14 years. 
We were unaware of this wave of encounters with the UFO occupants until nearly 10 years later when, while investigating CE3 cases in this country, we found that nearly half of all the cases fall in this incredible year. Since it is now too late to locate all the principal witnesses, we shall therefore present only the newspaper reports that appeared at the time. The actual number of CE3 cases during this wave is still unknown. The events listed below are those that we still have been able to collect so far. So um, these stories sound sensational as hell, but um, many of them are basically the same. You're what you're going to get uh, here um, are accounts from children of basically uh, describing the same thing. So. Uh, most of the sightings occurred in a place called Bukit uh, Murtajam in uh, the state of Penang. And uh, it started on the evening of uh, August 19th, 1970. Six schoolboys reported that they had uh, seen a soup plate sized UFO, blue in color, landed in the bushes beside their school. Five little men, only three inches tall, alighted from the object. One of them was dressed in a yellow suit, and the other four wore blue uniforms. They installed an aerial on a tree branch and sent out signals, which frightened the boys, who then ran away. The way these beings are drawn, they, they the best way to describe them, they look like luchadors, wrestlers from Mexico <laughs> yeah. with the masks. Yeah, yes. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> they got yeah. masks. They got like tall ears, but if you look at their outfits, they have these kind of pointy shoes that point upwards, which kind of remind me of the iron sheiks boots because they would point upwards. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, the curl, the curl to them, but, but does do, are those guys okay, who let me ask bad. you this in general. Right. Yeah. Has any, any uh, alien visitor or uh, strange uh, intruder wore a cape. Uh, or is it no capes? Is it, th- a, is it an Edna th- mode, no cape situation? Yeah, I think it is an Edna mode, no cape situation. Because I think uh, there are, I'm going to say there are a few humanoids that could have yeah. uh, gone with some capes and would have been fine. I think it probably would have oh, yeah. added something to it. Um I th- no, that's that's exactly what I'm saying yeah. is that the, with, because the, the, the silver shiny outfits, the boots, the belts, always the belts or often the belts, the gloves, it's all there. The the band of uh, <laughs> the band, the one band shade across the eyes. You are ready for a cape. Uh, we just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I mm. think uh, they need to up the fashion game here because uh, I'll say <laughs> the tight fitting. Oh, there is one being that I can think of that was wearing a, mm-hmm. it wasn't a cape. It was a cloak, but it was very similar. OK. Um, OK. The Rosalotti Sanina landing of 1954. Rosalotti, she was actually out uh, gathering carnations for um 
a an altar that she was making, I think, for like Mary Magdalene of all things. And uh, she's out in this clearing and she sees this uh, UFO that kind of looks like two cones joined together. Uh, and it's like standing on some legs and these beings appear from it. And the way that she describes them is like they're wearing like these tight fitting clothing. But over them, they have kind of like um, like a fancy button up vest. They're wearing cloaks. Mm -hmm. They kind of have those leather helmets on that make them look like, you know, 1950s football players. And Mm -hmm. they basically snatch the carnations out of her hand, though they give her back two of them. (laughs) And she was carrying black stockings with her, too. And they snatched one of those and they put them in their UFO (laughs) and they were about to. I it seemed like the the way that she was saying it, they were about to give her a black box and she ran mm-hmm. away thinking that they were going to take uh. her picture. <laughs> of all that, yeah. uh, you know, it also they don't understand the, the stockings don't work. Uh, you might as well take the pair. Yeah. They don't work as one of them. That depends on your appendages. Yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe you got a pair and you were the Enfield monster. You need one for that third leg. Right. Right. You got to like. Who knows? You got to right. protect that third leg. You know, <laughs> you've got to. <laughs> well, it gets chilly. It does. Uh, but it, the well, look at the other encounters, though. Uh, this is there's a pattern here. Again, do you you wonder is uh, are they sharing the same story? Uh, people skeptical would say, well, they've just heard one tell it, and so the other one tells something similar. Or are they seeing the same phenomenon, or is this truly the same thing that they're all seeing? Right. Uh, because in this next one here, uh, you, you get multiple. It's, it's still same five of uh, these little these little folks uh, that about that are about three inches tall, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there was a ten year old schoolboy. He had seen 25 landed UFOs kind of um, in the bushes <sighs> outside the school. And, uh, you know, from it, he saw these three inch tall entities. And, you know, just as he was coming in for a better look, the school bell rang and he had to return to class. You know, like what? You can't play <laughs> hooky here like for a little bit. <laughs> just Yeah. Give it a little give it 10 minutes. Right. Right. And. I think the thing that's interesting about these, this particular sighting uh, is, is that mm-hmm. most of them take place during the day. Like they're yeah. midday. Yeah, broad daylight, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the same. But then witness. is this the one where they, they had mm-hmm. the, the schoolmaster came out and couldn't find evidence of anything? Right. And, yep. Yeah. Which, yep. That's such a bummer. If you're the it, kid, it is. you <laughs> did see it. Yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. it was right here. <laughs> yeah or they were yeah. right here yeah right yeah so same witness uh sees them again uh he sees about five of these three inch tall entities uh and again like the the description is is just amazing because like um again like there's one being that seems to be distinct in what they're wearing while the other uh like four kind of wear the same thing they have these large right. protruding ears um, but yeah, they just look like luchadors. Like if you, <laughs> when you, when you, when you see the images of these things, like I assume that they have like a wrestling match to get to at some point today, but right. 
<laughs> well, there's a leaders. There's certainly that's it's uh, my logic would say there's one that's a distinction in class or rank. Right. Right. Uh, you know, dressed. Uh, yeah, one of these is not like the others, but right. uh, but similar to these other sightings. Exactly, and uh, we do have these. These little guys are a little hostile. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, in one case, uh, in this case in particular, um, one of the small beings shoots something at this young boy, and he ends up with like a red mark on his leg. Um, so, mm. didn't know where it came from. Did it make a sound? Did it go? No, no, but that would have been amazing if it did. (laughs) That would have been dope. Well, you wonder, it's like the toys, uh, the toys shooting you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or any kind of, uh, you know, uh, with that same kind of ineffectual, uh, uh, I guess, uh, outcome to it. You you do wonder about uh, toys. And then earlier with the biplane, just quickly, it did remind me a little bit of the Philip K. Dick short story uh, about the uh, the airplane that kind of flies into his window, in through the boy's window, and starts striking up a relationship with him. Right. And the most chilling part is that it starts to give him orders, and then uh, the thing that gave me chills for whatever reason is that the, the little airplane tells him, uh, I want you to call me my lord. Right. And it's like, uh, and then, you know, that, again, not to spoil it, but like, he's not the only toy that comes alive, that comes to, that comes alive. And he's not, doesn't have good intentions and other toys are banding together to defend themselves against these or defeat them. Right. And then you wonder about the nature of all these little men and these different creatures or whatever they are. Are they battling each other or what are what are their intentions really with this? But yeah, like you said, he, he's the kid approaches and then he gets shot with one of the little horns when he tries to catch it. Is that just them being defensive or uh, what's the deal there? And then, of course, uh, the, the the small red dot that appears on his on his leg was was tracked. But, you know, as an adult, it's like it could be anything. Right. You know, a bug bite. Right. Um, the next morning, there's two kids, one who's 11, one who's eight. And um, they see these creatures again um, and they describe them as like horrible looking, which mm. um, if you saw them, you'd probably be a little scared because like their faces don't look human, despite the fact that, again, they do look like tiny wrestlers but right they mm-hmm. <laughs> they end up pulling a small gun and shooting one of the kids uh which he said that there was like a tiny bit of pain but it didn't hurt so much but it's like mm. okay so you got these tiny dudes who it <laughs> appears that their weapons are meant for tiny people but like you know just right, a little skin right. irritation <laughs> yeah well, you're the you're the godzilla in this case yeah yep um but these reports just kept coming over and over again uh, in Bukit Murtajam. And it, like people kept uh, these kids kept reporting them. And, um, you know, eventually this like flap would kind of subside, uh, subside uh, after a certain point. But it's just like it's so weird. Um, all of these like sightings, because it's just like. Are all of these kids piggybacking off of the first kids that saw it or mm-hmm. like what's going on right, here? Right. But um, mm. while they did, you know, take, largely take place in the in that one location, there were a few others that did receive, you know, some sightings and stuff. And again, they're 
school children that see them. Why are these objects mm-hmm. attracted to schools? Mm. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's, you know, it ha- there's a history of that, you know? So it's, I mean, right. like with, of course, the aerial school and this, and then we talked about um, Broadlawn in the UK. And it's an interesting thing, especially when there's multiple witnesses. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of their yeah. age. I think it's it's the audience, but also it's not as threatening for the strange visitors. You know, it's the kids aren't going to immediately just pull out uh, shotguns. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, they might step on you. Like it depends. If there's a a bully in the class, you never know. <laughs> right, <laughs> you might get squished. <laughs> right, drop well, kicked. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like uh, man. Nice. They will try to capture you because yeah. that 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 comes up uh, again in the next uh, the next instance. Yeah, I, I I cut a bunch of these because they're all kind of basically the same. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. these these again, you see it you see it over and over again. But yeah, there is like one instance in which they do kind of try to nab. Yeah, it, it just doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I right. mean, like it's never going to work out in a situation like that. What do you do? What do you do in that case? You admit defeat you, and you get back yeah. in your UFO and you get out of here. <laughs> right. I do. I do want to talk to them and I want to have the, the conversation as with Sam, the Sandown clown. Yeah. Right. I want to get. But with better questions, mm. uh, you know, and, and actually press press him more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> are you a ghost? Well, Sort of. Kind of. What do you What do you mean by that? Yeah. And here it's. Yeah. These are the the one one of the pervasive things is is that these encounters are almost always awkward. Yeah. Like like we don't know what to do with them. They don't know what to do with us. It's it doesn't turn out well. Somebody gets hurt and somebody runs away. That's. I think what Sam needed more than anything was a stand-up comedy career. If he had had that, (laughs) I think he could have saved it. It, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Well, he's he's got the microphone, but also uh, the deadpan. He's got a, there was a Stephen Wright quality. Yeah. To, to Sam. Right. Yeah. In, in the delivery and the sadness, but, but also the humor, the intentional humor, but. Uh, yeah, he just needed some good, uh, as, as Scott would say, like joke math, comedy math, right? Where you, you, uh, you really structure the, uh, the jokes and the deliveries to be, uh, clever and sometimes double entendres, uh, like Emo Phillips is really well regarded for his joke structure and yeah. that it's funny on several different levels, but yeah, you're absolutely right, Rob, uh, after the people, uh, initial fear, uh, and screaming that a giant light socket with wooden horns is delivering comedy to you at the uh, at the laugh cellar. Uh, right. I think he he could have went on to an interesting career. Yes. He he already kind of looks like a clown. So like a scary looking yeah. clown. <laughs> yeah. But like yeah. I think right. he could work with it. I and like you know I I get it. Clowns these days they yeah. they've got to pull that reputation back. Like. You know, it's been ruined by Pennywise and John Wayne yeah. Gacy, but like you've got to, you got to do before that work just being a clown. Yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. clowns, poltergeist, I mean, we go way back here. So exactly, exactly. Um, so the, the, the last series of sightings that I have here mm-hmm. are from Finland and um, from central Finland in particular. 
uh, between the years 1973 and 1979. Our witnesses here, mm-hmm. uh, Yarmo Nikanen, who was 24 years old, and Reho Kolmanen, uh, he was 28. And these guys kind of yeah. lived pretty close to each other. So uh, Yarmo, he got a late start um, to his morning on June 30th, 1973, and he was uh, walking around at about 10 a.m. and he made plans to visit his kind of summer cottage, which kind of was a, I think it was like an hour long trek through the woods or something like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, but he took a like a sauna bath and walked around. Like this is the kind of guy that you're jealous of. Like look at this guy's life. He's taking it easy, and yeah. here I am busting <laughs> my ass day in and day out. And uh, yeah, right. He's uh, you know taking a, a nice sauna, enjoying some coffee, yeah. uh, listening to the radio, just hanging out at his uh, his cottage in the woods. It sounds uh, very idyllic. Yeah. yeah. So after midnight, he retires for the night, uh, but he he was uh, woken not long after by a buzzing sound. So he checks the radio thinking he forgot to turn it off, but uh, Mm -hmm. he did indeed turn it off. And his attention was drawn to a blue light entering from the front door. So he rose and walked out to the lake adjoining the uh, property and above it, this blue light hovered. The light then moved over Yarmo and it just mm-hmm. kind of stopped over a, a shallow portion close to shore. And with a clear view, he could see that this light was large, twice the size of the nearby rowboats. And the center of the object looked to be made of kind of like jelly in a way. Um, and it was mm. th- like this jelly like center from which the light was emanating. And what happened after this is unclear. Uh, Yarmo claims he might have seen a a being on the inside, but uh, his last true memory was of waking up on the porch around 6 a.m. He then went inside and slept for another six hours. So, again, I want this guy's life. Mm -hmm. What am I doing wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So... Two years later, in June of 1975, Yarmo would hear strange knocking sounds at night in the cabin and on three separate occasions would find landing traces on his property. That's uh, that's where we get to Rejo's account. Um, He started to find landing traces around his property uh, in the relatively same in the relative same area in February of 1979. So that's what kind of these guys knew each other. And one of them's going to going to kind of house sit for the other. But uh, at 650 a.m. Mm-hmm. on February 2nd, 1979, Rejo discovers a 2.5 meter, eight foot uh, diameter crater uh, that was uh, about like five meters or 16 feet away from his house. Snow had melted mm-hmm. inside and around the crater, and strangely, inside of it, uh, Rejo found a strange red liquid which smelled like vinegar, and pieces Ew. of metal and a kind of metal cup uh, is the way that he describes it. Mm-hmm. Three nights later, the entire family heard uh, quote a shooting sound, uh, and the next morning, another sizable crater was discovered ten meters or thirty-two feet from the house 
A constable later claimed to have seen a strange light in the sky at the same time the loud sound was heard. And after investigating the second site, the police suggested that someone might have thrown a homemade bomb in their yard, which what's going on here? Yeah, Um, Yeah. right. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, February 21st, there's a third landing trace found. And again, there's some red liquid and some metal left in this hole. Hmm. So... We shoot to March 8th and Rejo was uh, heading to Helsinki and asked Yarmo to watch his house for him. So two mm-hmm. nights later, as Yarmo was making his rounds of Rejo's property, he saw a um, it's kind of light in the forest and thought that someone was just kind of watching him. Maybe it was a flashlight or something. And shortly after midnight, quote, a bell shaped miniature UFO appeared near the house. The UFO had a diameter of half a meter, 1.5 feet. The upper part of the UFO radiated blue light and the lower part radiated, uh, I think, like a white light. Uh, First, he thought he was watching the lights of a car, but then he realized he had encountered a UFO, end quote. Yarmo tried to get a few photographs of it, but the flash failed uh, a few times. Uh, But armed with a flashlight, as well as the camera, he aimed the flashlight at the UFO, which responded by ascending upwards and disappearing. So a few days later, Yarmo mapped the area where the trees or where the three craters had appeared and found that they formed a triangle, which pointed directly toward the cabin. I don't know if this means anything, but hey, we've got yeah. weird triangles pointing to cabins. I dig it. <laughs> we got mm-hmm. mysterious stuff happening here. So. Uh, the afternoon of March 16th, Yarmo made the trip to Rejo's cabin, armed with a camera, binoculars, and some snacks. He's waiting. He's sitting down and he's planting himself. <laughs> he wants to see a mini UFO. And I get it. Very important to have snacks. Yep. Yeah, of course, and a camera. But uh, uh, at this point, no one's collected any of the metal or the vinegar liquid. Um, I think. I don't know that anybody did because I don't think they thought it was strange. Right. So. They, right, right, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Which is uh, which is kind of weird, though, because like if you're if the police are saying, hey, it's a bomb, maybe you might want to collect that evidence, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, you would think so, uh, to, because usually they just bag up everything, especially if it if it is a strange or illegal con- conclusion like that you're going to want to uh, collect the evidence but it's hard to gauge what people at the time think is important or what they'll do so uh, yeah it's believable that nobody did anything with it yep so shortly after he arrives at the cabin with the snacks here's the signature buzzing sound again and and from behind him he saw the ufo and started to take you know just picture after picture about five of them mm-hmm. and at which point he started to walk toward the ufo and it disappeared just you know boop, gone out the ufo mm. reappears 30 minutes later as yarmo was walking near the lake and the ufo was just like hanging out behind some bushes uh you know just like a a curious little kid looking out like this is batteries not included i get it we're cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh the ufo uh he walks towards it 
And he just started snapping more pictures like he's the UFO paparazzi. I get it. It's cool. And uh, (laughs) he attempts to climb this kind of cliff face to get it to to the other side to get a better view and better photos. But inadvertently slipped and snapped a photo of some trees by mistake. You know, Hmm. it happens. I get Mm -hmm. it. Uh, That one blurry photo. Yeah. Uh, And in response, the UFO shot a red beam of light at his face, which blinded him for a brief period of time. Yarmo took refuge behind a fir tree and watched the object fly away, taking photograph number 12 in the process. He's kind of like Ed Walters out here. Yep, right. Yeah. Right. Yep. These pictures are the just some of my favorite. Yes. You know, we talked about this this particular one during the Cure Object, yeah, which it yeah. might be because you told us about it, frankly. I think you right. I think you did. And I remember looking into it and just being like, This is an amazing story. Yes. It's, uh Open Minds TV did a YouTube video about it like years ago. But uh I had found the articles about it. Um I had just stumbled across across it when i was uh looking i think it was in the april bulletin or something like that but uh yeah, yeah. it just kind of like there it was and i'm like oh well we we better hold on to that one <laughs> okay but um uh. <laughs> yeah these the photographs are amazing yeah yeah right and and uh you know this is the old the old chestnut argument here people say well there's there's zero proof it's like well there's some decent photographs out there, but you don't know the people that took them. Right. To me, that's what boils it boils down to is that, yeah, there is there is some evidence. Like right. I said, that's pretty good. You may not have the metal, uh, but as we've seen, someone uh, with the funds or the means is going to scoop that metal up and you won't see that again. Right. Uh, that's my firm belief is like once it's made uh, known, it's going to end up in someone's collection or, hey, that's fine. You know, my, my thing is like, look, I don't I don't have. $20 million worth of lab equipment at my place. So uh, here it is. All I ask is just let me know what you found out. Right. That's you know, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. So. No, never, never happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Got to let, let go of the outcome. Be, be zen about it. You know, re- release yourself from outcomes and expectations. Yes. It's just um, interesting, this whole thing about being revisited over and over and what's happening during these times and what is, what's the goal and... You know, and then again, we, yeah, we come back to the whole thing that, uh, and Forrest and Rob, I'll let you guys fight this out about the nuts and bolts of these, <laughs> these right. devices mm-hmm. that don't seem interstellar capable and, you know, where are they coming from? And then the idea that they're drones or they're, and then the idea that drones are sentient, you know, right. when mm-hmm. Sam the Sandown clown says, I'm sort of a ghost. Does right. that mean it's a technological remnant of a living society that is right. somehow they made their move into a, to further their existence mechanically? Well, yeah, I'm saying he may have uh, maybe he's got soul energy. When you say ghost, the, the other term that comes. Yeah, to mind but where is did spirit. it start? Right. Uh, well, if you and this is uh, Rob, we're gonna have to come back on and get real, real yeah. weird. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, and I'm talking about uh, way out there. And I'm talking about uh, uh, we may have a connection to Lionel Fanthorpe. If you uh, are interested, in a, I would love to have a group roundtable. I could, that's just a voice I could hear. Said him reading uh, <laughs> reading a cereal box is that uh, he's fascinating, but you start to get into the the uh, the real fringe of the 
of the phenomenon investigation. And then you're talking about, well, what is the purpose? What's their point uh, with some of them, you know, with with a, let's say, a certain race and the ones that are kind of nefarious and not out for our best interests. It's like, well, what do we got to offer them? Of course, we've got, you know, yeah, you want you want the minerals on our moon. You want our resources. That's old hat. What's the one thing that we have that we could offer? It's uh, soul energy. Right. And one of the scariest, most disturbing things I've heard. Uh, and again, that was on a Jim Harold uh, uh podcast where I can't remember who was talking about it, but basically it was by some accounts of abductees who lived to tell the tale and they're uh, putting uh, points together. It was like they were trying to figure out a way to essentially grind us up, re upcycle us, re repurpose us, but basically suck out that soul energy because that's the one everlasting thing that they can't create. Uh, and is is uh, useful. It doesn't go away. So as a form of energy, if uh, that has mass, which a lot of people believe now, that's that twenty one grams thing, uh, mm -hmm. that there is mass to to the soul and to the existence and consciousness resides outside of the body. That there is a way to harvest that, and that is the goal, and that's the most horrific thing I can think of. Uh, I'm going to eat your light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, well, that's what, uh, right. That's the EVP that came from the Sally House. Uh, no, that's, for, wait, wait, was that one from Sally House or I couldn't remember. I think if that, that was, was the team. That show. was, uh, yeah, the professor with his, with his class there. Yeah. No, I was going to eat your soul. You that know, was, yeah, said, like, no, that one nothing, was different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, what's the worst? He said, there's nothing that can happen to you if you, you know, keep up a sound mind. And then some <laughs> some, mid, some woman from, a middle-aged woman from Kansas, like, eat your soul. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which that's was the right. Beat. That's right. I guess that's a bad thing. Yes. I don't want that to happen. But yeah, you do wonder, like, what, that's the most horrific thing. Uh, but the, as far as I remember the, um, and I've got notes in a small moleskin uh, notebook from years ago about uh, that interview. And they're saying like, well, then there are ways spiritually to protect yourself perhaps from this, but it's just, yeah, that's the craziest thing. And then the other ones are just seemingly here to study stuff, uh, maybe study us a little bit, but we seem to be in the way and not too far from an awkward encounter again, where they have to zap us. Uh, but for my own thing, it's like, just give me a little like a laser pointer thing. When I have trouble sleeping, I want the red light. Just like, right. deep. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just uh, no after, you know, wake up, but no after the effect. The yeah. thing. As painless <laughs> and, and easy as possible. Don't overcomplicate yeah. things. If you want to take a look around and you don't want us to interfere, <laughs> just like, look, we don't want to remember this stuff. Like, sure. We got, yeah, a cool, right. yeah. we got a cool UFO story. We don't need to take it to the next right. level here and, uh, <laughs> turn right. into the next level. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't, don't need to turn it into a giant narrative where I'm, I'm, you know, at the mercy of some, you know, mantids on some weird craft <laughs> or, um, in the case of Jose Antonio da Silva, short yeah. men with long beards and long hair, um, in a, uh, in an office that looks like a pediatrician's office and they're trying to make an intergalactic <laughs> arms deal with you. Like that's not helpful. Oh, I know that's, that's pretty, that's one of the more wild ones, which is right. like a, a global fake conspiracy of, uh, of Bilderberg proportions. Right. But in the case of, uh, 
in a lot of these, like you said, you know, I don't want to wake up screaming in the right. middle of the night from from these nightmares continuing on. But uh, but most of the people I know that are of a like mind would. Uh, it's like, yeah, I'd like to have an experience, but not horrible. You know, like not from either seeing something weird from afar. That's uh, non-ballistic motion, whatever, or seeing something like this, but not having lasting effects. But you often can't choose in that. Right. It's just when you when you mix it up with this kind of stuff, uh, weird things happen. And a lot of it, a lot of times they're you know neutral or not good and very rarely good. And that's just interesting. And then people think you're a kook. Do you remember that Sam the Sandown Clown's wallpaper in his little shack had little dials on it, little clocks or dials yeah. or something? Yeah. There's a right. It was uh, uh, kind of like the uh, Chevrolet starter motor had dials on it, right? Right. That's right. the one. Right. I, I love these uh, aspects of this that are relatable to us. In that, uh, like I said uh, in our Betsphere episode, it's you know if you were able to cut the Betsphere in half and it did all the properties people claim it did, uh, are you going to see? You know, are you going to see a, a gizmo? Are you going to see gears and, and little levers clicking and ticking? And, and well, with some of these things, we do uh, get some of that. With the Kira object, as far as they can see inside, uh, what the uh, the parent of who is a science teacher, uh, as far as he could see, he said it, there were some components that did look like radio parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were wires, maybe a circuit board, little, you know, nothing too complicated. And so it, it's everything. I know you can't. People want to classify this to understand it as like, well, it's all kind of the same. When you look at some of these devices, some are uh, going to have a gyros, a spinning gyroscope inside and little levers and maybe a, a guy, you know, a tiny gerbil dressed as a conductor and operating, <laughs> operating levers. And then some, like the bet sphere, it's like, okay, my thinking, my logically is that you're the smarter thing, the more clever thing is the more elegant thing. It's not... Uh, you know, wires and nuts and bolts, it's going to be this weird liquid you don't know and three little tiny orbs inside controlling everything. And it's like, it's so simple. It's it's elegant and beautiful, mm-hmm. but also complicated. Right. And that's that's my thinking. But I guess, but I will also say, I don't know. It's like there there some could be totally steampunk and mechanical. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if we had... If we had all the answers, man, what would we need to do podcasts for anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's the, the overall thing, Rob, is that what we do know is that, man, we enjoyed talking with you so much. And yes, yes, we, we could do, sir. Talk for, for hours about this stuff. And that's that was the purpose of starting this podcast. It's like, hey, let's talk about weird stuff, you know, and, and uh, right. things that we all agree in. And, and then even some stuff we don't agree on, but maybe just get some answers that are outside of our head because... Uh, our only our comprehension only goes so way, and I think to figure all this stuff out, it it's helpful and fun to discuss it with like minded people. Oh, absolutely! Uh, and I can't thank you all enough for coming on the podcast. Uh, if y'all don't listen to Astonishing Legends, why don't you? Like, it's the perfect <laughs> podcast to mow your lawn to, like it's, for three hours. It is, <laughs> exactly, exactly. and it's the yes. next best thing to a to UFO red light uh, sleep light laser. Yeah, it's just, absolutely. It'll knock you right out. It may absolutely. take a little longer, maybe 40 minutes in, uh, mm-hmm. you'll get that sleep itch. But, I don't know. We can get boring uh, pretty yeah. quick. That's true. And you, what you don't want to do is, as some people have, actually, this is funny, but some friends have, have 
uh, told me that they, uh, you know, they'll play the show again. They want to hear the info, but they'll put it on at night, fall asleep, but wake up. And it's something really disturbing we're talking about. Yeah. Like, Whoa, what the heck? Right. <laughs> right. you know, just, just something hor- horrific. And then it had the opposite effect, and then they have to like calm down again. But it That's was just right. some, yeah, some something our uh, sound designer Ryan had put some creepy sound effects and music to, and uh, yeah, it had the it, it it woke them up in a a, a very mild panic. So yes, uh, but usually no people people are are lulled to sleep, and uh, hey, whatever whatever gets you going, just uh, just use some of our offer codes. That's all in, I say. In other words, <laughs> Astonishing Legends is like the call map for weird people. Uh, that's the there best you way you to go. describe it. I love it. that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and very few side effects when you wake up. Yes, that's right. absolutely. You may have some weird memories that you didn't have when you <laughs> went to bed, but right. that's okay. Uh, as for us at the Our Strange Guys <laughs> podcast, you can find us on most podcasting apps. Uh, and if you'd like to help us out, please leave a rating and review on the platforms that allow it. Spotify allows you to do that now if you listen to like three episodes. So, yeah. hey, just rate uh, your podcast, your favorite podcast. Tell your friends about all of us. Like, yes. don't please don't stop talking about us to your friends. Like, do it right. until they are annoyed with you. I can't encourage that enough. <laughs> uh, Patreon. Give, give uh, Our Strange Skies and Rob the most amount of stars, thumbs, votes, whatever it is, because this is, uh, as Scott and I always say, it's one of the podcasts of record for this subject anywhere. That's right. Yeah, if you definitely need that uh, that uh, record of weirdness uh, from your skies, <laughs> uh, Patreon, mm-hmm. we have one of those, patreon.com slash your UFO guy. $3 a month gets you bonus audio and early episodes. Uh, you can follow us on yeah. Twitter and Instagram. Special thanks to Floats for the use of their song, UFO, as the theme for this podcast special thanks to spencer worth davis who does our editing now and to megan lagerberg for our dope ass logo which i still love and it's still great (laughs) and uh the great desdemona who uh does our Mm -hmm. t-shirt designs most of them uh finally don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or while looking through the new hole in your roof made by a miniature ufo (laughs) in gray we trust (laughs) good night